The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey guys, this is Matt Seidel, and you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get-go, boy Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your host, Jeremy Donovan And the young boy, Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy Josh Smith. On today's show, we'll review the first two nights of the Burning Spirit Tour and cover all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Social Suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting SocialSuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.US today for details. Young boy, are you ready to talk about the, the joyous and peaceful world of New Japan Pro Wrestling? <laughs> yeah man um so much has gone on in um the greater industry of professional wrestling this weekend that uh you know kind of lost in the midst of that was the you know celebratory joyous occasion that was fans returning to cheering for new japan you know um now of course for uh, the other major companies it's been this way for almost two years now, so it's nothing new for them. But like for you know us, uh, you know Shinny Han fans, this <laughs> this was a uh, you know something special. But it seemed to kind of get lost in the shuffle in the midst of everything that went on over this past weekend, which was a lot. <laughs> yes, this was a, a big wrestling weekend uh, between several promotions. A lot of the major companies had shows running this past weekend. Um, of course, we do have some questions later on about, you know, the stuff that everybody's talking about, all the uh, the backstage, you know, Donnie Brook, the, the, the melee. The kerfuffle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. People want me to shoot from the hip. Is that what you're telling me? Yes. They, they want us to come out here. They want us to tell the truth. 
No they cap. They want me to pull out the pea shooters and go <laughs> pew, 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 pew. People tune in for, you know, the no cap zone. They, they want to hear our hot takes. Hot takes. On <laughs> Philip Brooks, Tyson Smith, Matt and Nick Massey. They want to hear the truth. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to give it to them. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Actually, I got to be honest with you. Like, I have a... I don't know. I, I've voiced my, you know, views and opinions on this matter so much in the other circles that we kind of travel in, people we talk to day in and day out, that I'm like kind of exhausted by the whole thing. In fact, I'll tell you this much. I didn't even watch yesterday. Well, A, yesterday was a holiday. Made it a little difficult. Even though I had the day off, it made it a little difficult for me to get around to watching you know, um, yesterday's Big Corkin show, so I, I pushed that till today, so I kind of have a fresher view on things. But also, um, I mean, I was just, like, wrestled out between all the different shows that happened and then the drama and then the discussion of the drama. And even as we speak, everyone is, like, you know, sitting on the edge of their computers, refreshing Twitter. You know, by the time this airs, the, you know, alleged decisions and outcomes concerning what occurred post show with AEW will probably be made public and we might not even know about it or we might find out about it while we're on the air i don't know but uh it's kind of nice that you and i have this like little uh you know this little safety igloo that is keeping <laughs> yeah. it strong style we can kind of go into and uh shield ourselves from the dirty dirty world of uh <laughs> western wrestling you know what i'm saying yeah no, nothing like that would happen in the hallowed halls of the Shinny Han locker room. Yeah, the I the International Wrestling Grand Prix committee would never tolerate what has gone on just in general. Just just in general. Like at least once in every episode I watch of whether it's WWE or AEW, I see something that I'm like I just know the committee would shoot this down. There's no way they would let this happen. Right. You, you think the head of the IWGP committee would sit next to their top guy and let, <laughs> let him bury the rest of the committee? I'm not even talking about that. I'm just talking about, like, you know, I just see creative ideas and, you know, matches and just nonsense. Just, you know, stuff that happens on the show. So I'm like, the IWGP committee would never let this, never let this fly. <laughs> oh man but uh before we dive into any new japan action first thing gotta do some housekeeping business i do have the results for our g132 contest it was a very tight contest towards the end here uh the winner only winning by two points oh wow so i mean so what does that mean? Does that mean that this was the closest approximate uh, ballot that we got? Or does this mean that there were several people that were like almost right on the money and he just came a smidge closer? Like, what are we talking about here? Yeah, so I think the second... He or she. I don't want to assume the gender. Right. I don't know the individual. I don't know. Right. Um, out the, the first place he won by hold on, let me let me pull up the the sheet. So you're saying he and I see M Paul eighty two, and I wanted to say he because it's Paul, but that could be Meredith Paul. You don't know that that is true. So the 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 entrant here, <laughs> the entrant, <laughs> the uh, employee, yes, no, uh, the official, <laughs> yeah, the official here, um, has won the contest. M Paul 
82 and and Paul, I will email you to get in contact with you uh, to get everything set up for your prize. So M. Paul came in with 69 points. Uh, second place was 67 points. And then there was like five people who had 66 points. Oh, wow. Tight race. Did uh, M. Paul 82 predict the finals correctly and the winner and everything like that? So M. Or Paul, no? M. Paul he, got the, he got Okada correct as the A block winner. He put Jay White as a B block winner, so he got that yeah. one. But he had Naito as a C block winner, and he had Osprey as a D block winner. Um, he had Okada beating um, Jay White, which Okada did end up being Tamatanga. So he got he points. did beat he did beat the B block winner. Yeah, so he got points for picking that winner correctly. Um, and then he had Naito going over Will. Wow! So I still should have entered a ballot because that was my final. And I mean, if I just was a little bit more accurate than them, I could have won this thing. Yeah. And didn't, didn't you have, uh, did you have Osprey or Naito going to the finals in your actual, like official, you know, initial predictions? I think on the air, I said Osprey, I think, but then I think I ended up going with Naito. Um, and going with Naito winning the whole thing. Gotcha. Okay. Well, congratulations, Mpol82, and everybody else that entered the contest. We uh, thank you for your participation, and better luck next time. You know, it's like the G1. The the one in G1 stands for Mpol82. Because <laughs> <laughs> there can only be one, like Highlander. Yes. Uh, the most accurate G132 picker this year. So now uh, let's move into recommended match of the week. Second week in a row that we're starting with recommended match just because one of the matches features um, a match that happened last week on Dynamite that I figured that we would normally talk about on top of the show. So I figured let's once again do recommended match of the week since we're talking about uh, AW uh, trios match that happened last week. But uh, we'll start it off with uh, just a regular recommended match of the week. You recommended the hour-long Two out of three falls match between Billy Robinson and Antonio Inoki from the Tokon Series 2, 1975, night 41. For the NWF heavyweight title. Yes. And man, what what a match this was. Um, this was... Oh, you liked it. I mean, I wouldn't... I don't know if I could... Like, I'm going to go back and like rewatch this match. I've, I've only watched it once. I've never rewatched it. Yeah, um, but I mean, it, it was good. I mean, and again, and I always say this when every we review older matches, you kind of have to transport your time yourself back into that time period. What was the working style then? Because I mean, obviously, from a 2022 lens, I, I don't think a lot of people would be like watching, like, oh, this was a great match. I mean, there's not a ton of dives or flips or, you know, crazy high spots. When you go back into 1975, see what's kind of going around that time period, see how people are wrestling. Like, this is a really good matchup. And, I mean, you know, a lot of times, you know, we talk about this when we talk about strong style. You know, people think that strong style is just the the heavy hitting, the, the Ishii-Suzuki match, the heavy hitting, the chops, and all of that. But, really, strong style is a lot, too, of, like, grappling, submissions, um, that kind of realistic style of wrestling. And I feel like that was what was on display here. 
um, in this match with Anoki and Billy Robinson. Yeah, and I mean, especially considering the root foundations in many ways of uh, New Japan's strong style originate from that Lancashire style, you know, popularized by the teachings of Carl Gotch, you know, and uh, in the early genesis of New Japan, the very first top program that they ever ran for their top title and, you know, in the main event scene was Carl Gotch versus Antonio Inoki. So Inoki kind of being like the poster boy of, uh, you know, the company, the definitely the biggest draw in Japan at this point, and someone who, you know, was making waves for having these, you know, mixed style contests with uh, different, you know, individuals from judo and karate and boxing and yada, yada, yada. And then to take on the man that is pretty much universally recognized at the time as the best like technical wrestler in the world, you know, the, uh, the Brian Danielson of his day, if you will, you mm-hmm. know, so you've got essentially the top star and the top worker in Japan against the top star. Well, the top worker from great Britain. And uh, they went out there and they like really had an awesome match. One of the famous things about this was, um, I, I, I don't want to mess up the story, but there there's a a tale where essentially I think Inoki tries to shoot on Billy Robinson a little bit early in the match. Mm-hmm. And Billy's like not having it. And Billy just <laughs> shuts the shit down. And then Inoki's like, oh, I, I'm gonna have to work with this guy. <laughs> <laughs> because B- Billy did Billy, this is one of the only tours he ever had in New Japan. He was not traditionally a new japan talent and wouldn't become one after this like he spent most of his career either i believe like iwe and then all japan but in between those stints he did this like you know this tour with new japan and did the big you know the big house and the big gate with the noki and um you know pretty much universally recognized as the top new japan match of that decade yeah and kind of like to what i was saying to you about as far as putting on the 1975 lens like watching this match like people were popping for the simplest mm-hmm. things put on a uh, octopus stretch people are losing their mind you put on a boston crab you put on an arm lock you, you do a big suplex you would think that somebody did a destroyer through a table <laughs> the way that the, the crowd was reacting to some of these what we would probably nowadays consider like basic or simple wrestling moves um I think there's a ton of really good grappling here. And like I mentioned, with two out of three falls, they went 40 minutes before Before the first first fall, fall, which uh, Billy Robinson got off of a backslide. Yeah. Uh, And again, people popped huge for that backslide. And a huge fact that, you know, Billy Robinson pinned the top guy um, in Inoki. So, you know, the classic, you know, come from behind story here. So Inoki's fighting from underneath. Um, as soon as the bell rings for the second fall, Billy Robinson once again goes for that backslide again, gets a near fall off of that. And then again, just a, li- a ton of really good grappling and submissions, um, suplexes all throughout this matchup here. Um, and then you get down to the second fall where um, Anoki gets the, the octopus uh, stretch onto uh, Billy Robinson and he submits, which then takes it to one and one. Um, and I guess it was uh, the Cobra twist um, that he did lock on there. So got it to one on one, and then from there, you know, uh, time is is running out. They're, they're 
Anoki, after he got that fall, was like house on fire. He's throwing drop kick, drop kick. He's doing all these, you know, crazy kicks. It's like, you know, his high spot kind of come back crowds, like getting behind him, going crazy. Uh, but uh, eventually the, the bell does ring, time runs out, and the match ends 60-minute draw, one point apiece. Yeah, if I recall, the the closing stretch is really great, but gets t- a tad sloppy down the very, very like stretch. It's not as dramatic as you would maybe hope, something like that. Maybe they like mistimed the, the finish a little bit, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually have that story I was mentioning. So the 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 story was that um, this came from Billy Robinson. He once said that when they were talking about the layout of the match, again, keep in mind how big these stars were and also kind of the background where Billy Robinson came from, as I mentioned, sort of like an outside guy. He's not a New Japan guy. And Inoki wanted to go over, of course, because that's what he always did. <laughs> and, and Billy told him like, hey, if you want to go over, then try to go over. (laughs) (laughs) And apparently Anoki did try a couple things early on in the match, but Robinson just blocked everything. Um, The other thing too is Billy's knee was injured going into this match as well. So um, that's something else Anoki knew about and probably could have tried to take advantage of, Um, but he had a lot of respect for him and his abilities and kind of protected him in that respect. But yeah, Billy Robinson wrestled that match with like a pretty banged up, you know, damaged knee, which is also kind of crazy. <laughs> wow. But yeah, really good match. Um, like I said, really good grappling. Um, like good suplexes. I mean, it was kind of basic, like, you know, really good wrestling, that, that old kind of old school strong style, mixing with the grappling, the suplexes, there were strikes and, you know, it's hard for me to rate this match. I don't know what I would rate it compared to, like, today's scale, but I definitely think it's a match. If you do have – it's an hour. If you have an hour on your time, you want to watch some wrestling, you, you want to watch some Anoki, I would say – I would recommend that you watch this matchup. Yeah, I would say that this is probably the best prime Anoki match that you're going to find. I mean, there's a few other – examples you can point to maybe the 8888 match with Fujinami which is also an hour long or uh maybe like the 96 Vader match but by and large you're not going to find too many true classics with Antonio Inoki but this stands out probably head and shoulders above all the other ones so I mean this is probably like the prime example of why he was so great and you could probably speak to this too Jeremy I mean the the one thing is like the crowd they eat up anything he does, oh, yeah. which is like nuts, you know, considering how basic it is. And they didn't do that for just anybody. Like, but for whatever reason, Anoki was one of the guys that, yeah, he was a, he was a star. Yeah. He was, you know, a, a great performer, but he had this connection to the audience that kind of has never really been replicated in Japan, honestly. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, guys like Tanahashi and Okada and Naito, I think, you know, they, they get great reactions and the crowd's invested in them. But, it, yeah, like just mentioned, like, Anoki could just breathe, I feel like, and the crowd would, like, lose their mind. Um, yeah, in some ways, I feel like uh, the reactions Tanahashi gets are sometimes the, the modern-day equivalent of what it was like, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad you got to check this out. And also speaking to that uh, recommendation, I mean, if you are, like, a real New Japan fan... You know, there's, for instance, if you're like a WWF fan, there's a few matches that like 
regardless of how quote unquote great they are, you just have to see them because they're part of the mythos. They're part of the canon. And it's like Andre Hogan, Hogan warrior, Brett bulldog stuff, you know, steamboat savage though you know the matches everybody kind of knows that are classics that really have vast importance to the company well billy robinson and Inoki is like one of those keystone foundational new japan matches and it's like if you haven't seen that one probably need to see it honestly yeah all right then for the excursion match of the week i picked the Finals or the semifinals of the AEW Trios tournament that happened last Wednesday on Dynamite. Will Ospreay and Aussie Open taking on Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks. Yeah, I really, 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 really enjoyed this match. In fact, by and large, I really enjoyed the AEW Trios tag team title tournament just in general. I would go as far as to say that this is an easy candidate holistically for the best tournament that they've ever put on. I can't think of, they've had good tournaments and they've done quite a few of them, but I can't think of anything else that just match per match storyline, you know, running through the whole thing has stacked up and been as enjoyable to watch as this one was. In fact, I would like to see like a comp tape of all the tournament matches. That way you could just binge them. You know what I mean? That'd probably be like an incredible watch, but, uh, yeah, I really, really, really like this match. I thought the crowd was hot. Um, you know, the teams meshed very, very well. Um, obviously, a lot of the story here is Osprey and Omega. And even from the very entrance, uh, you know, Kenny Omega's doing his gimmick uh, entrance, but they've altered it in almost every way so that every single accolade, every single acclaim that he receives is somehow a dig or... <laughs> You know, at, at Will Osprey, uh, it, to Will Osprey's expense, um, which was hilarious, and I do kind of feel like part of the story of the match was Osprey wanting to get his hands on Omega might have been somewhat the downfall of his team, mm. and being too like um, tunnel vision on getting revenge and on getting his hands on Kenny as a, and and besting him as opposed to trying to win for the team. But these guys went out there. They had incredible exchanges, high-flying, you know, like Dave Meltzer likes to say, incredible moves. (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, if hypothetically you didn't see this, and Anoki Robinson, you know, having a a technical mat special from 1975 isn't quite your bag, then you might want to check this one out because these guys were flying, flipping all over the place. Tons of dives, tons of incredible sequences. Um, obviously, Aussie Open. We've seen what they can do uh, with, you know, um, like lighter, high-flying tag teams, especially like with the Velocities. Most recently, we covered that on the show, and this was, you know, in many ways akin to that. Um, oh, Kenny Omega, Matt Jackson, and Nick Jackson. You know, they're phenomenal as always. They did the really cool spot where uh very similar to the famous pwg six-man tag that uh the bucks and adam cole versus ricochet matt seidel and will osprey there's that famous moment where the bucks are going for the indie taker right when nick is you know springboarding off of the rope suddenly will osprey comes from out of nowhere and gives him an oz cutter 
they did that here. I do got to tell you, I did two things with it. The crowd, they definitely popped for it, but they did not react the way the Reseda, you know, um, audience did because they, when that happened, it was like a, oh my God, yeah, like, like lose was, your mind moment. Yeah. And this audience didn't quite react that way. The other thing too is um, the way that the camera shot it, they tried to shoot it in a way where um, Omega or Osprey is out of view so that when he comes into frame, it's like more surprising. But I got to tell you, I prefer the way it was shot in PWG with the wide angle. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I don't, I think they get a little too cute sometimes with the AEW production with the camera shots. And they try to do that WWE thing where they, they cut the guy out and it's, they're supposed to come in a frame, but I don't know. They don't do that too much in, in new Japan. I like the camera work in new Japan a lot more. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's definitely a, a Western wrestling trope. I see it in pretty much all Western promotions where they have that kind of big, like out of nowhere springboard move, or somebody's going to break the pin up off the top rope, but it's focused on the pin. But then sometimes the downfall that sometimes you miss it. Sometimes mm-hmm. people miss when a guy springs in and it's a, a bad camera shot. Well, also the, the the camera guys miss stuff just themselves. And there was two or three times where the timing was a little off because there was so much happening in this match. They missed a couple things that were pretty important. And that brought the match down a little bit for me. The commercial breaks, like last week, a little bit hurt. But, you know, you can still see what's going on. Um and I also got to tell you, even though this one was phenomenal, I liked the match from the previous week better than this one. And, you know, there was definitely like camps of people that were, you know, wanting to throw all the stars and all the snowflakes on this. I still thought it was fantastic, but I didn't think it was quite up to the level of the week. The week before I felt like was one of the greatest six man tags I've ever seen. I didn't feel that way about this. However, this might still be – it's so good. It still might be in the territory of excursion match of the year contendership. It, it's going to depend because we're getting into the nitty-gritty here, and we're not that far off from award season. I mean, we're coming up to you know uh, November. It's early September, so it's not that far off. But uh, ultimately, uh, you know, Kenny Omega, Matt Jackson, the Young Bucks, they were able to pick up the victory here and uh, – you know, uh, get the upper hand on uh, Aussie Open and Will Ospreay. Post-show, they cut a promo, the Elite did in the ring, and then at the end of their promo, there was an attack from um, the United Empire, and it was led by Will Ospreay giving the hidden blade to a unsuspecting Kenny Omega. So kind of furthering that storyline, Will Ospreay did – send out a tweet saying that for the time being, he's no longer going to be working in AEW. He thanked Tony Khan for his time there and for having the balls to bring him over in spite of Kenny Omega trying to block him from being in the company, which I think is obviously a, a kayfabe deal. But, right. you know, a week ago, this felt like, oh, my God, this is like one of the hottest like programs. I can't <laughs> wait for this to happen. And now – you know, a week, like less than a week later, I don't know if this match is happening. I don't know what the fuck's going on with Kenny or Matt or Nick or Phil or Tony or Ace. <laughs> <laughs> not not Tanahashi. <laughs> or Larry. <laughs> or just AEW in general, yeah. you know. So 
Um, but yeah, great match. Great, great match. Uh, Dave gave it three and three quarters. I think that he inflates everything now, you know, you mean, because you mean we four and three quarters, four and three quarters. What did I say? Three and three quarters. Gave it four and three quarters. I probably would have gone like, uh, I think I'm like a four and a third on this one. Mm. You know, 4.333 repeat. <laughs> um, yeah, I love the match. I, I'm with Dave. I went four and three quarters on it as well. I went five on the previous week's match with Death Triangle. Uh, both great six-man tags. I think also there's a lot of money in Will Ospreay and Kenny Omega. I think that has been proven now with just the way that the AW crowd reacted to Osprey in the match. And obviously when both of these guys are in Japan, I think also there's going to be huge reactions and there'll be a, a big payoff there. Like you said, we don't know as of this recording what's going on with the status of Kenny Omega and everybody who was involved in that backstage fight on Sunday. But, you know, hopefully that, that will not jeopardize a future Kenny Omega Will Ospreay matchup. Nice. Well, um, since we're on the subject, what is the, um, you know, recommended and excursion match of the week this week? So this week I have the pick for recommended match of the week. We're going to go back to 1998, night two of the G1 Climax. Yeah, we watched this. I recommended this oh, on did? August 12th, 2020. Oh, well... <laughs> We're going to run it back again. <laughs> I can watch it again, I guess. I've seen, we, we we covered this. Well, it, two years, that was a long time. We had a whole pandemic. We've had a, a ton of new listeners since then. Um, That's fine by me. It's one of my favorite matches, so fine by me. And I'm, I recommended it to you. Although, I will tell you, Jeremy, there's a reason we have a catalog list of I know, matches i know I, I need to update it from the last several weeks and i did i should have looked at it before i made this pick but i honestly i did not remember watching this do, match just do how okay let me jog your memory at the time my tagline was before there was shibata and ishii there was tenru and hashimoto and they just kill each other yeah, I, I, just, I don't know. I don't I don't remember uh, watching it. I can't it. believe you can't remember it. It's one of the most violent New Japan matches ever. Well, see, this, uh, okay. this, is, this is why we need to watch it again. I need to refresh. I think you got to watch it again. Yeah, I, 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 I am going to watch. I, 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 try, I try to watch both um, sets of matches. Um, so uh, Tenryu versus Hashimoto from G1 98, night two. Yeah, and obviously at, Tenryu right now is kind of battling some um, health issue so i'm assuming that's probably why you chose this match correct and also the next match that we're going to talk about um from aw of ishii and kingston ishii or i mean kingston dedicated his match to tenryu also awesome uh for excursion match of the week i've got a, a running list of a few things that have occurred recently that i'd like to check out but uh i say we start with the big boy um will osprey versus ricky knight jr uh, Rep Pro 10th Anniversary Night 2 for the Undisputed British Heavyweight title. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've seen the ratings. I've seen some clips. I mean, at this point, can we just you know name this the, the Will Ospreay Excursion Match of the Year Award? No, because he doesn't win it that much. <laughs> he should, though. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, um... Let's go ahead and jump into a couple things here. So one last, I guess, AEW-related thing, um, but it is crossover material. So 
on Sunday night during zero hour, the uh, all out. What what do you call it? Preview show. Pre-show. Pre-show. The main event of the pre-show was Tomohiro Ishii versus Eddie Kingston 2. And uh, we were at AMC. I got to tell you, Jeremy, we haven't talked about this. I don't think I want to go back to AMC to watch uh, the pay-per-views. Bro, I'm not going back again. So we paid the the last time we went to Forbidden Door, right? And we were like, oh, shit, the the tickets aren't $25. They're like $13 slash $15, $16. So it was like, wow, what a steal. That's a lot less than I thought they were in the past. Let's try it out. Crowd was hopping. Everyone was loud, lively. The picture was clear. We had a great time. This time, the tickets were... But the audio was messed up, though. Oh, but the audio was messed up. This time, we went back, and the audio was pristine. There's a lot less people, but the picture was horrible. Like, horrible. And we complained. I, you know, I'm at the movie theaters all the time. Literally at this theater, like, at least once a week. And I'm talking to the kids, telling them how to fix it, yada, yada. Eventually, they're just like, yeah, this is what uh, this is what Dish TV's given us. I don't know what to tell you, and I'm like, bro, it literally looks horrible. Like it, it was a mess. And then, to top it all off, someone told us that like someone complained about our row because we had the lively row and we're watching the show. And Jeremy, I didn't even hear what they said. You were you were down there. What did that dude say to you? Yeah, the dude comes up and he's like, um, "Hey, can you guys?" You know, try and keep it down a little bit. You know, we got some complaints that you guys are being rowdy in here. He's like, I, I know it's a wrestling thing, but if you can just, you know, you know, try to keep it down a little bit. And I was like, are you serious right now? Bro, I was livid, like livid. Because, bro, it's – well, you know what? Now that you say that, maybe it wasn't coming from people in the theater. It could have been coming from people outside of the theater. Yeah. Which is possible, but we weren't being that loud. We were very much more toned down from the way we were at Forbidden Door. I mean, obviously, the show wasn't as good. Right. I don't think we were, I mean, we, we popped for big moves. We clapped. You know, we, we got into the guys we liked, but I don't think that we were so loud or so rowdy that somebody like, would need to complain. It's like, bro, it's a sporting event. It's not a movie. It's not the same thing. You know, I understand right. the etiquette. If you're going to watch, you know... Uh, you know, the latest Marvel film or something, you know, sure. Silence your phones, you know, don't answer text messages, yada, yada. This wasn't that it's wrestling. Right. Like essentially you should be able to act like you are at a live show. And that's what we did at forbidden door. And there was no complaints and everything was fine. And we were trying to do the same thing here, but apparently somebody was uh, not happy. And, you know, I, I did see like a lot of people, in front of us kind of going in and out and i was trying to scan like all right yeah. I, oh bro I, like yeah so i mean it was us and then my girlfriend was with us and like you know I, obviously you know i i don't give any fucks but <laughs> <laughs> but she does and so like i, I don't want to get myself in trouble so like i i didn't do anything but like i was a hair triggers away from like you know saying something to somebody like Cause I was pissed, bro. Cause it's like, bro, it, if it was someone in that theater, I'm like, you are all grown men. You can't turn around and have a, a word with us. You can't say, speak words, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and say like, hey guys, can you? Uh... But at the same time, like, why would you want 
anyone to quiet it. Like, so, so you can't like the, the sound quality was incredible. There is no way we were in any way infringing on someone else's enjoyment of, of the wrestling pay-per-view show. Unless they just didn't like how we were booing punk. I don't know. Yeah. Or, you know, we, we make some snarky comments sometimes too. So I don't know if that was part of the issue or whatever it was. They're but... like, what did they say about <laughs> XYZ wrestler? Oh no. Oh, they, I'm they, going, they're burying Jim Ross. I, I will not stand for this, sir. <laughs> what did they say about JR? All right, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, I don't think I'm going to do it again because yeah, uh, like, dude, and you know what? That wasn't really the big issue. The biggest issue is like for for twenty five dollars, which yeah, yeah, I mean that's not a lot, but that's that's half the cost of the pay per view. You know, if if our whole group that was there was in one house paying for it, we'd be spending a lot less money. And um, the picture was horrible. I'd get a better picture going to a pirate site and <laughs> exactly. pulling pulling the pirated stream off if yeah. I knew how to do that. I've never done that, but if I knew how to do something uh, of that nature. <laughs> I, I have to imagine that the picture might be better than what I saw that evening. Yeah. I, I'm not going back to AMC, go back to the watch parties where we can control the quality of the video, where we can control the sound and we can be as and loud as we want to be. We control the narrative <laughs> and just like Doki, I'm not going back. Yeah. I, AMC, you, you just made the list. <laughs> so anyway so ishii and kingston they really did have a bond burner um obviously you expect that from these guys but i was very impressed i thought this was a very very enjoyable match i mean you guys are getting a bonus excursion match of the year review exactly <laughs> content, or match of the week review here but um they went out there they had the exact kind of match you would expect them to have but they really worked hard they really turned it up a lot of James Boyd spots, a lot of double, you know, double strikes, double lariats, double headbutts, double uh, bumbling, falling on the ground at the same time. It was awesome. And, um, yeah, I, I dig it. I want them to wrestle again. Yeah. It's also this was the second match. The first match was at uh, Capital Collision, the DC. This one was better. Really? I thought this one was this one had more time. I felt like, and I I thought the crowd was hotter. I don't know. I felt like I think the crowd was definitely hotter, but I feel like Capital Collision got more time. Maybe I have to rewatch, but I feel like I like the Capital Collision match a little bit better. But this match was great, also, and like you said, exactly what you expect: big chops, uh, you know, no selling, firing up. Uh, Kingston ends up getting the win back here, so now these guys are tied at one apiece. And I would love to see this again. You know, there's rumors of interpromotional matches that could potentially happen at Wrestle Kingdom. Why not do Ishii and Kingdom, Kingston again, a uh, rubber match at the Dome? Yeah, I mean, that's a, um, they could do it pretty much anywhere as far as I'm concerned. Um, and I mean, the nice thing with this is like, it's just a, a kind of easy uh, plug in and play sort of rivalry. You don't really need much more story beyond the fact that like, they're two bad motherfuckers that don't like each other and they're going to go out there and try to kill each other. Yeah. Um, Kingston was trying to give uh, Ishii respect after the match and Ishii was having none of that. <laughs> yeah. So Dave gave the, the match four and three quarters, the one from Chicago. Oh, they're both from Chicago. Huh? Was that? Oh, that, Oh, that was windy city riot. Not uh capital collision. 
Am I wrong? No, it was Capital Collision. For some reason, I thought when they see right. Anyways, the the earlier match from May, he gave that four and three quarters. Cage match users have it at eight point four six. We don't have his rating on the AEW show, but the uh, cage match users have it at eight point three three currently. So you might have something to that. Um, you know, it looks like the one that you like is rated a smidge higher, but there are a lot less ratings on that one as well this one has like you know a hundred more people voting on it so it's a you know right the, the aw match is obviously more viewed free match on youtube versus a you know the fight tv pay-per-view i think i went four and a half on the dc match and i'm four and a quarter on this one i think i would have gone like near four and a quarter four and a half for both of them so i i don't know i yeah i'm not totally sure but they were both really outstanding matches and uh yeah, I want to see him do it again, and I love that, you know, Kingston was just pissed because he's trying to show all this respect to Ishii, and Ishii's not having it. <laughs> he's like, nah. Also, what the fuck do you think Ishii was doing? Do you think Ishii was in the back, like, all night, like, just chilling with the boys while, when the chaos ensued, or do you think he, uh, you know, he was on the pre-show. You think he just, like, wrapped it up and went home? <laughs> yeah, dude, yeah. <laughs> There's no way Ishii is sticking around. Did the job, like- got went to the pay window, and got on the first flight back to Japan. <laughs> <laughs> but I like to imagine that he was there. Like, he was chilling in the back with Larry whenever – like, he was a, a, <laughs> among the consortium of individuals that had to break up Ace Steel and Kenny Omega. Yeah, he, he was pulling, you know, Ace Steel off of Kenny. Oh, he's like, oh, you want to bite? <laughs> I'm Stone Pitbull. <laughs> uh, but speaking of that, we have a question here from Oscar Rooney. He says, is Ishii the kind of guy who would bring the tea to the NJPW locker room? And how great was that moment of him not accepting the respect of Kingston after the match? Yes, and yes. <laughs> Ishii's flying back like, Okada, you'll never believe what happened. Your boys, the Young Bucks, they were wilding. <laughs> Sugabayashi, come here. I gotta tell you exactly what went down. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yo. Uh he called up Harold May. He's like, yo, you were right not to do a business with these dudes. I don't know what we're thinking right now. Yeah. <laughs> they should have listened to you. <laughs> Fuck a forbidden door. Someone got bit, my guy. <laughs> no cap. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Oh man! But yeah, so, yeah. The after post match was great. Also, uh, with the whole Ishii rejecting Kingston respect, then we'll definitely build, I think, to a, a third matchup. Nice. Well, let's jump into Burning Spirit. So uh, last week on uh, September the second, Burning Spirit Night One uh, occurred. This was the first show that has been televised of the tour. There was no cheering for this particular evening, but in, in many ways, very similar in match structure and layout to the, the bigger, you know, nine, five show. Um, the results here, we saw DKC defeating Kosei Fujita, um, the house torture team of Togo evil show and Yujiro defeated the cast team of Goto, yo Yoshihashi, along with Oiwa, Third match of the night, six or nine, with Jado defeated the United Empire team of Francesco Akira, Gideon Gray, and TJP. Fourth match of the night, Aaron Hanare, Great O'Conn, and Jeff Cobb defeated the Bull Club team of Fale, Chase, and Ghetto. Fifth match of the night, Hikaleo, Kenta, and Ishimori defeated the Great Bash Heel team of Togi Makabe, 
Tomohaki Hanma along with Kushida. Semi-main event, we saw the Suzuki-Gun team of Despi, Taichi, Kanemaru, and ZSJ defeat the LIJ team of Bushi, Hiromu, Sonata, and Naito. And in your main event, we saw TMDK, Tito, Jonah, and Shane Hayes defeat the cast team of Okada, Yano, along with Tanahashi, 12 minutes and 4 seconds. We did have a question regarding this show. Uh, Rambone Slam Pig said, I don't really have any questions other than to ask how you guys felt to watch an NJPW show with cheering again. Oh, okay. So this was a lead into the 9 5 night. Yeah. Okay. So on 9 5, we had uh, Burning Spirit Night 2 at, in Cork and Hall with the return of cheering. And I mean, I, I figured I'd just read the results in this one too. We can kind of talk about both these shows and answer his question. Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. So um, we'll get to that question here in one moment. The opening uh, match of the evening, Minoru Suzuki defeated Bad Dude Tito. Second match of the night, Goto, Yano, Yo, and Yoshihashi defeated uh, the House of Torture team of Togo, Evil, Sho, and uh, Yujiro. Third match of the night, Fale, Chase Owens, and Hikaleo defeated Gideon Gray, Great Okan, and Jeff Cobb. Fourth match of the night, Hanare, Akira, and TJP defeated Six or Nine along with DKC. Fifth match of the night, Jado and Kushida, they defeated Gato and Taiji Ishimori. Sixth match of the night, ELP and Kenta defeated Bushi and Shingo Takagi. In your semi-main event, we saw the team of Hiromu, Sonata, and Naito defeat Despi, Taichi, and ZSJ. And the main event, we saw the Mega Aces, Tanahashi and Kazushiko Okada defeat TMDK team of Jonah and Shane Hayes, 16 minutes and 17 seconds. And we did have that question. So Rambo and Slam Pig said, I don't really have any questions other than to ask how you guys felt to watch an NJPW show with cheering in Japan again after all this time. It put a big smile on my face. Well, Rambo and Slam Pig, it put a big smile on my face as well. It was so good to hear a vocal New Japan audience again. You know, we've been almost two and a half years without any cheering at all for New Japan shows, all clap crowd environment. And so it was great to just see the crowd and not forget how to cheer. They were like, it was, you know, riding a bicycle. They didn't forget. They were right back like they were pre-COVID, um, you know, cheering for people's names, um, chants, and it was just a, a great experience, you know, from the opening matchup there with Suzuki and Bad Dude Tito. Uh, Bad Dude Tito comes out, he gets a good reaction, which I think, you know, lays precedent to what we've been saying on these tours. Even though there are clap crowds, you can tell when certain guys are getting over and when the crowds are starting to like a certain guy and Bad Dude Tito he got over in those G1 undercards, and the yeah. Corkin crowd let him hear it. They were chanting. There was big, you know, Tito chants uh, throughout the match, and the you know Corkin loves underdog, and they were they were getting behind Bad Dude Tito. And then of course you have Minoru Suzuki coming out. We get the big Kaze Ni Nare No Suzuki incident. Huge, yeah. Um, big big cheer for that, and yeah, throughout the whole match, big cheers for Suzuki and Tito. And yeah, the fans are just loving it. You can tell they were they were energized uh, throughout the night. Great reactions for everybody. Um, House of Torture they 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 got boos, and I think it really helped their match to actually have people boo them. You know, they're doing all this stuff to get heat, and now they're actually getting the heat, which I think makes their matches a little bit more watchable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, big special moment there with um, Okada's entrance and Tanahashi's entrance. 
um, there. The crowd just, you know, erupting when those guys coming out. Um, big reaction for Jonah as well. Crowd was really digging him again. Jonah, another one of those guys that we talked about. He got the oohs and ahs during the clapping, but th- that Cork and Hawk crowd, now that they could cheer, they were all behind Jonah and, and getting behind him during this match. Damn, dog, you ran down the whole show. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man, just outside about this show. Yeah, I could tell you were really digging it. Um, no, I, 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 I echo your same sentiments, though. Uh, I, I really did enjoy the show. You know, I got to tell you the truth. Um, for me, this was essentially like a spruced up road to show. Like there wasn't – well, I should take that back a little bit. I felt like after they came back from intermission, the like last three matches of the night kind of kicked things into gear and probably elevated it to a level that was slightly above that. But by and large, there wasn't like too much to really sink your teeth into. Like there wasn't big angles, post matches, promos, anything like that. The the meat and potatoes of, of the show was we're gonna have matches that are previews, but the crowd is going to cheer and the crowd took like something that was, you know, it was like, they took like a pack of ramen and they decided, well, like let's crack an egg into there and let's throw some broth <laughs> into there and like, let's put some aromatics and, uh, you know, some, you know, throw some, uh, some mushrooms you know, some protein. Yeah. Yeah. And like, all of a sudden it's like, damn, this is not the, you know, Mar- Maruchin's top ramen I was expecting. Like, this is some gourmet shit. Um, and that's kind of what this show was like. They had half the capacity that they normally would have for a Corkin show like this. And they spread everybody out. But they sounded two times louder than they normally would, which yeah. was really, really cool. So, and, you know, kind of comparing the 9-2 show. The 9-2 show has all the same talent. The matches aren't that different. Uh, the length of the show is about the same. These shows are very similar, as we're used to New Japan doing when they're on tours like this. But like the the experience of watching the nine two show versus watching the Cork and Hall nine five with cheering was night and day, like wild. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Also, we we don't have uh, English commentary live for these shows, right? So that nine two was, was kind of a rough watch. Um, I mean, I, I love Japanese commentary from time to time, but. You kind of get spoiled when you have Kevin Kelly all time. And so we had, we well, had, the, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say the other thing too, is we're kind of used to with, on tours like this, when they're having all these previews and these like mini builds, they don't usually do something that's earth shattering necessarily. That's rare, but they usually have like kind of running storylines, you know, maybe they'll do a bit where two guys are in a feud and they'll start attacking each other after the matches. And that will kind of run through the tour. And you're like, Oh man, this program between, you know, whoever is really hot. We didn't get anything like that on either of these shows. They're kind of holding back on that stuff. So, you know, it really is just like, we're doing previews of the matches. So it, it, comparing the two shows, it's like, there's not even anything on the nine two aside from like, you know, it's fine. It's good. Um, the thing I liked on the nine two show more than anything else, honestly, was DKC and Kosei Fujita in the opener, which yeah. I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, that was really good. DKC keeps getting better and better. Uh, I'm really interested to see where he's going to end up with his career. Um, he was a guy I was kind of questioning about when he first kind of went into the LA dojo, uh, but he's been killing it and had a really fun match with Fujita. Um, as far as all the things you, you mentioned, um, 
I noticed when Badu Tito first walked out, he wasn't getting any reaction. They're very quiet, but it might be because they don't have big screens where you can see the person coming out and they probably didn't recognize the music. I don't know if he's ever right. come out with his own music. Right. That was the first time that he's ever at least on New Japan proper that he's come out with his own music. Right. And he started to get a reaction. But what one thing I noticed was once he got in the ring and he started doing the flexing and he got up <laughs> and he like started doing the posing and yeah. he got up. Out, he's like, I'm like, this guy's got dude. Yeah, bro. <laughs> like if we know anything about like, you know, Japanese wrestling audiences, they love a big motherfucking American who goes <laughs> in a singlet <laughs> in a singlet. They love dudes like that. And I was like, man, this guy's really got a presence about him. Like, and the crowd was eating it up. So even if at the beginning of the show, they didn't, they weren't into him by the time, like 30 seconds into him being in the ring, they're like, Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, Suzuki, when, when they did the Kaze Ninari, that was the perfect, you know, you know, first guy to come out to get the, you know, excitement going. And we haven't had a singles Suzuki match in quite a while in New Japan, or, or at least in New Japan, in Japan. He sat out the entire G1. So this kind of feels like it's been a, a while coming. And uh, that was pretty special. Uh, one thing you didn't mention. So Tanahashi coming out, that was special. He got a huge reaction. Obviously, he's crying like he always does, <laughs> right after the match. Um, Okada, when he came out, he came out in his regular duds, but they had like a black light. And when the black light was on his current robe, it like turned it white, but then like had like an Okada on the back of it or something. Yeah, it was uh, really... Rainmaker. Oh yeah, Rainmaker. It was really cool. Um, so kind of mixing in like the old like you know jacket effect that he had with his previous attire into the like new robed attire. So that was cool. But the thing that stood out to me the most for all the fan reactions was when um, Naito came out in the uh, in the semi-main event. And, you know, we give him grief. But, bro, there is no denying that this is the most over man in Japan. Like, Dude, when he comes I, out, like, I, I that crowd. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I was, I was right there with them. Naito. Naito. Bro, I always do the Naito. Okay, so, like, let's make no mistake about it. I know that we are critical, and, you know, we might give you a hot take here or there, but, like, we are Naito fans. You know, we're not diehards like some other people, but (laughs) I like Naito. I know you like Naito. I think we've seen plenty of his work to to understand how great he is, and we've been covering New Japan for a very, very long time, so we'd be remiss to to act as though he's not a, a huge star, but, like, Sometimes, obviously, Naito is a guy like many before him and many after him who he doesn't try his hardest during the uh, during these, you know, preview tags. And I always remember, like, we used to uh, like harp in T-shirt Naito. You know, he's going to come in, he's going to do the bare minimum, but he always got by because the crowd was so into it that it didn't matter. And that's been gone for the last two and a half years, so. It's kind of been a little bit more glaring on those evenings where he's not trying. But, like, on this night, he came out. He, he put in a, a good effort, solid effort. But the crowd was so into him. I was like, God, this guy's a fucking star. Like, makes you forget how big a star he is until the crowd. <laughs> right. And that's another thing, too, is, like, seeing who the crowd did and didn't react to is pretty astonishing. I mean, House of Torture, like you mentioned, they got a lot of booze, a lot of heat. And 
there's going to be those people who say, see, it worked the whole time. And then there's me who's like, maybe it did. Maybe it didn't. We'll never know. We'll never actually know. But now we're here. And now where they're at at this given time, it is working. The crowd hates them. And it doesn't feel like the, I don't want to see you. You fucking suck. X Pocky. It feels like, oh my God, I want someone to beat these guys' asses so bad. I want these chaos dudes to wreck them. Right. And, and, and now they're selling the, the you know, no House of Torture shirt with like the red symbol through the House of Torture logo. They're selling those on a token shop global and the New Japan uh, shop, the token Japan shop. And yep. the chaos guys are wearing those shirts. And I think the fans are trying to wear those shirts as well. Yeah. So at, as we start to return to, um, you know, the cheering crowds, I think more and more it's going to be very interesting to see who the crowd is invested in, who they're not invested in, what the reactions are like, whether this is a short love affair because, you know, these fans have such pent up, you know, emotion that they want to get out. And is that going to last? Is that going to carry over? Is this going to be something that elevates new Japan and starts to, to raise the product back up to where it was prior to the pandemic? Is it a short lived thing that's going to kind of subside? It's really hard to know. And it's going to be very exciting to see how all of it plays out. Yeah. I think one thing to keep in mind too, this was Cork and Hall. So you, you probably had your diehards of the diehards here. And Corkin's usually one of the most energetic, you know, crowds that new Japan goes to. And yeah. so Totally expect that reaction. The, the real test, <laughs> the real test, the real test is going to be when they go to one of those, you know, quiet, far out cities. You're wrong, Jeremy. That's not true because those people also haven't had the opportunity to cheer. And so the first time they go back, they're going to cheer. The real test is the next time. Can they do it again? Mm. Yeah. Can forgot can, about that. Can they make sure the pops don't stop? Yeah. What <laughs> happens when the pops stop? <laughs> Um, the other thing I noticed though, too, is that as the, as these crowds have become very accustomed to clapping that now they've always clapped, of course, but clapping has become ritualistic in a way to where it's like certain things elicit an automatic clap response, you know, in a clap crowd that kind of persisted here a little bit, even though they were able to be vocal and they definitely were, they were definitely lively and cheering this corking crowd was still working in the rhythmic um, claps and not just in the classic sense, but like pretty comparable to what we've been seeing from the clap crowds. So I'm wondering if we're sort of in this interim period where it's like, we're allowed to cheer now. We're going to do that, but I kind of like clapping. I've been doing it for two years. Right. <laughs> we, we saw that with the uh, Francisco Akira chants, you know, with no chance, it was just the clap, that clap cadence. And now they're like, ah, Kira. Uh, Kira and saying yeah. it and clapping at the same time it was pretty cool. Yeah, and I like that. I like. I've always liked the the clapping. I mean, I think that's cool. So, I mean, if that's something that sort of becomes ingrained into the culture uh, of how they cheer and express themselves as fans, I think that's a great thing. Yeah, definitely, you know? and kind of unique too. Yeah. Um. Overall, um, I do have one criticism though. What's that? I don't I don't want to pretend here and sit here and pretend to know the business side of what they were doing and what options they did or didn't have as far as un, unwrap unrolling the cheering. You know what I mean? I don't know. I can't so I can't play Monday back 
Monday morning uh, quarterback and tell you what they should or shouldn't have done. But there is a part of me that feels like this was special, but wouldn't it have been more special if they did it on a big show the first time, Mm. you know, like I, I, for instance, just kind of give you an example. Like what if they'd been able to do it at the G1 final, Mm. you know, and then instead of this being the first one, this would be like the first Corrigan where they're cheering. We already got it on the big, you know, at sumo hall or at the Budokan or whatever. Um, and I, I'm not saying they should have held it off till the big show at the end of this tour. That would suck. But, you know, it kind of feels like a missed opportunity not being able to do this on a bigger stage. And it feels like, you know, maybe this was the only chance they had. So I can't criticize them too hard for it. But it's sort of like when they brought Kushida back in sort of a low-key way. And New Japan has a tendency to do things like this. They do the more conservative option and you know maybe it was more conservative to try it out in Corican, you know before right. they start going f- and that's fine but sometimes i like when they're bold i like when they do big things on big shows big moments you know look at look at wwe this past weekend like how incredible that clash of the castle was i'm not saying that need to be that but like you know when you when you have a big stage moment like that with a huge audience and crowd how much better would that uh osprey and and um osprey and naito okada match have been or even what if yeah what if all three of those shows people have been able to cheer right you know how much would that have elevated tamatanga and his attempt to beat you know uh okada you know i'm saying so yeah i don't know yeah it's kind of hard to really yeah fully criticize because again we don't know what their options were, what the restrictions were. I know certain cities, certain buildings all had their own rulings and what you could do, what you couldn't do. And so. Right. And that's why I don't know. Right. But I do agree. I mean, I do think it would have been better to do it on a, a bigger show show, or even if you're going to do it here at Corkin, maybe they could have loaded this Corkin up just a little bit more. Also, you did have, you know, that big Suzuki singles match with bad dude Tito but then everything else was just kind of previews, and I get it. They're trying to build to Burning Spirit in Kobe at the end of the month. They're trying to build to Declaration of Power in October. But I still feel like they could have done some other singles matches. Like, why not do Okada versus Shane Hayes? Why not do um, Tanahashi versus um Like whoever? for this first show? Right, right. Yeah. And I mean, that's, there is something to that. There's also the other side of it. It's like, well, why do you want workers to not have the opportunity to be on that first big show, you know, with cheering crowds, you know, right. you monster. <laughs> not the, I mean, you, you could, they could have easily tightened up some of this stuff. They could have made some stuff eight or 10 man. So you can make room for a couple more singles matches. I'm not saying remove anybody from the card. I'm thinking shift some people around and make some, you know, special singles matches. Definitely possible. Definitely. I mean, I feel like, I mean, just look at, uh, yeah, I mean, just look at like Jado and Kushida. Maybe, maybe you have Jado and Kushida team up with Bushi and Shingo to take on the combined Bullet Club teams of Gato, Taiji Ishimori, ELP, and Kenta, you know, or something like that. I don't know. But um, any key takeaways that we haven't discussed on on the show or about this show? I like I said, I really liked the top three matches. Uh, I thought 
ELP and Kenta against Bushi and Shingo was pretty enjoyable and was oh. sort of like where the mood shifted on this show. Yeah, that's another thing. Uh, ELP, he has his, his hair cut like Shingo, has a new yeah. shirt. ELP yep. is my daddy in the, the LIJ Shingo font. Yeah, I was like, oh, is this guy like just jumping on the, you know, the modern mullet bandwagon? I was like, oh, my God, he cut his hair like freaking Shingo. Yeah, and then the ELP is my daddy's shirt that he gave to Shingo at the beginning of the match, which Shingo was not happy about and threw it into the crowd. And you know what? So far in all their interactions, he seems to have Shingo's number. Yeah, I mean, the, the shirt is not a lie right now. ELP is owning Shingo right now. Pretty much every interaction ELP is either B and Shingo or their team has gotten the win. How about this um, for an interesting take? I saw someone that mentioned that they were a little disappointed in the lack of crowd reaction to Shingo. And, you know, I I didn't give him that much thought, but then I saw the tweet and I was like, you know what? Maybe they didn't give him this massive ovation the way the other big stars got it. And, you know, here we are sitting here for that year where he carried the company, you know, was the top guy having all these incredible matches. Clearly the crowd was in him with the claps and everything, but um, I'm wondering if maybe because his station has lowered over time, the investment isn't quite where it was when he was champion, or could it be that even though he is like, you know, people really like him, they don't see him at that level and they never did. And it's something we weren't privy to because we were in a clap crowd environment. Right. Yeah. That's the disadvantage of the clap crowd. I mean, there's only so much you can tell I mean, You can tell when they do like somebody, but it, it only goes so far. And like you said, I think the crowd, they do like Shingo. I, I, right. I would say he's one of their favorites. He's, he's a part of LIJ and the, the top faction in new Japan right now. But yeah, when you compare his reaction to Tanahashi, Okada, even, Jonah, um, you know, a newcomer yeah. on, the, on the scene, Shingo's reaction wasn't that way, and it's kind of hard to know exactly what it is. Um, I mean, right now, I would like to think it's maybe just the few that he's in right now. It's kind of a lower-card feud. It's KOPW. But, I mean, you look back to, like, when he was killing the junior division and had all those great matches in Cork and Hall. He was getting big reactions then. So I don't want to think it's, like, they completely have – you know, quote unquote, turn on him or not as favorable as on him. Yeah, no. And I, I don't think that this is, um, you know, you can't just label somebody off of one reaction on one evening. That's, that's nothing, but you know, th- there have been like, for instance, when they took the belt off of him, the Western reaction, especially from the hardcore new Japan fan base was like, what are they thinking? This is crazy. This is our guy. He deserves so much better, blah, blah, blah. But you know, the guys that are booking are a lot more privy to what the domestic audience's feelings and reactions actually are like because they can interact and you know also um, gauge things by talking to the audience maybe when the show's over or even looking at merch sales or whatever metrics that they were using and maybe they know more in those respects than we do you know and so you got a lot of bunch of smarks over here being like. Justice for Shingo, he should have been the Wrestling Observer Ric Flair Luthes Award winner. <laughs> and it's like, you don't know, bro. Like, we're not over there. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting, but I really liked this match. And I'm, I am looking forward uh, quite a bit to ELP and Shingo. Um, obviously, the feud that's ongoing between Suzuki Goon and LIJ 
has been pretty riveting. Um, we're leading to that tag match between Sonata and Naito against Dangerous Techers, and I feel like that's really heating up. Um, I thought that this match, the seventh match, the semi-main event, for me, that was match of the night easily. Big recommend. It's one of the more enjoyable tags I've seen in New Japan this year. And I really loved the finish where they subverted expectations where um, Taichi starts to go into the sequence where he rips off his pants. And right as he's going into that sequence, Sonata hits him with like an O'Connor roll and like rolls his man. <laughs> yeah. And beat him. I, I thought he was going to do like a, a capture German the way he was grabbing him. But, yeah, he did that O'Connor roll, rolled him up, and, and pinned him. And, yeah, I was not expecting that. And that was a very fun way to uh, end the matchup there. Really fun, uh, creative finish. But, yeah, the interactions between all six of these guys is so good. And they're building up these feuds here. Seems like we're going to get another Hiromu Despi match. And then later on this tour, we have uh, Dangerous Techers versus Sonata and Naito. And we know Sabre and Naito have kind of been like on and off feuding this year and just with their interactions and uh, kind of their pre-match and post-match kind of antics uh, has been fun to watch also. Yeah, plus if I was going to see these two teams do a preview six-man and and if there were any junior, you know, juniors that should join them, I mean, tagging on Hiromu and Desperado never hurts a match. So that kind of helped things too. But I, I'm loving the fact that like, Zack Sabre Jr. is just so – he just has this chip on his shoulder and he's so frustrated because he's done so good in all these tournaments all year, but he just seems to be unable to win the big one. It's kind of eluding him. And Naito pinning him in such quick fashion during the G1 is eating him up, and he's so pissed about it still. Yeah, and I, I feel like he, he's trying not to let Naito get to him, and he, he, he's trying to play he's, – he's trying to be tranquilo. But then it just gets to a point where he just he, he loses his cool, pops his lid, and just goes off. And that I think that's his downfall in these matches. Speaking of Tranquilo, I mean, did you you peep those tears from Naito when he came out when he was coming <laughs> through the crowd? Yes. <laughs> Listen, I've always said it, and I will continue to say it. Tranquilo is a grift. This guy does care about you. He can pretend like he does not care, you know. But he does. <laughs> he cares about you. And not only does he care about you, more importantly, he cares about what you think about him. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, he that that Tranquilo shit, that's all grift. Yeah. Some other quick things here. We had a couple uh, people showing up for the first time or the first time in a while. So Hikaleo made his return to Japan on this tour, you know, previously as a, a young lion. He did some. Tours in Japan uh, before the pandemic. More like a young gun. He was part of the Bull Club. He wasn't quite a lion, but he was definitely one of the young guns of the Bull Club. Yes. And then uh, Gideon Gray makes his New Japan debut with the United Empire. And I feel like uh, Gideon Gray got some uh, good reactions in his uh, cork and match. And Well, he's hilarious. Yes, this dude. Oh, my gosh. In fact, he was one of the standouts in from the night previous where I saw him. He was teaming up, and he was involved with that six or nine uh, six-man tag. And they did the spot where, um, you know, he's in the ring with Taguchi, and Taguchi is, you know, gear, like just lays him out. He goes to the corner, and he starts hyping up the crowd, and he's letting everybody know he's going to give him the bumbaye. And he's like, he's really into it, and he's going crazy, and the crowd's going crazy. And getting gracious laid out on the mat, and then he's like, Hyping, 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 and then he he's like ready to do it, and he looks over, and this man is still just laid out. <laughs> and he tries to hype them up some more. Hype, 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 hype. 
and then he try he goes for it. This man is just just straight Jay Whiteism. Like he is just completely laid out. He's giving him the cell of a lifetime. He's not moving, completely sprawled out on the mat. And Taguchi's like, what do I do with this? <laughs> <laughs> so you, you probably should have pinned the guy. And I, I don't remember exactly what happened next, but I'm pretty sure Gideon Gray was playing possum. Right, yeah, hand. he got up, got the advantage, and, you know, pointed to his head. He was like, you know, hi, I got him. Oh, I'm smart. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he did some pretty funny stuff in this match too. So I, you know, I, I'm all for Gideon Gray being involved. I think he's a guy that, uh, you know, he's kind of toiled for years. He's got the respect of his peers, and he's slotted appropriately because – like we said before, Hanari being at the bottom of this group doesn't make a lot of sense, especially with the push they gave him in the G1. Now that you've got this guy slotted beneath him, that kind of gives him a little boost, a little bit of an elevation. He's not the designated pin eater. That's clearly Gideon Gray or one of the juniors, whichever is more appropriate. Right. I'm sure Hanari is probably really happy about that. He's like, wait, I- I'm not eating the fall tonight? No. <laughs> <laughs> also, um, one thing I liked about this match was seeing um, the best – the two best pure strikers in New Japan go head to head. That would be Aaron Hanare and the DKC. <laughs> yes, yeah, the, the DK fire was uh, alive and well in this matchup with those big uh, chops that DKC likes to throw. And yeah, Hanare, man, those Muay Thai strikes, nasty. Yep. Um, I don't need to see Ghetto and Jado anymore. Yeah, I mean, I'd be perfectly happy with those guys staying in the back. I'm also getting to the point where, like, I don't know if I need to see Great Bash Heel anymore either. Mm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's getting to that point. But, yeah, I mean, uh, like you mentioned, uh, some of these newcomers and returning, you know, people um, that you mentioned have been pretty impressive. Uh, the other one that we haven't made mention of is Shane Haste, who he teamed with Jonah – on night two in the main event against Tanahashi and Okada. And I thought, I don't know, man, I, I, I've always felt this way. Shane Haste is the anti-Mikey Nichols. I think he's a guy that has great presence, a great look, gets good reaction. We never saw that from Mikey Nichols ever while he was here in this company. Yeah. Like, But I would say, though, he didn't get um, a big reaction, though, from the crowd at first. Like, Not a big reaction, but I felt like he – is seasoned enough and i've seen him do this plenty of times in nxt where yeah he didn't come in with a big pop but as the match progressed he was able to get people you know invested in what he was doing and into him as a character a bit like i'm not saying this was a star making performance but they weren't apathetic to what was happening to him or by him in the match they became invested and and you know he he knows how to work a crowd yeah, and so yeah, he definitely did that here in this match. But yeah, it was good seeing him in Japan. And I think he gels really well with uh, Jonah and Bad Dude Tito. I think they're a cool unit. Uh, looking forward to seeing what they're going to do with these guys. I'm sure that him and Nichols will probably be in World Tag League. Uh, but it's a, it's a fun addition to have. You know, we always want, we always talk about wanting to have new units, new factions to shake things up. You know, we had United Empire the last couple of years now, but it's cool to finally get, you know, TMDK formed and in Japan now. It's also rare to see Tanahashi and Okada pick up a win when they're teaming together ever. So (laughs) that was cool. Um, And I, you know, this main event was pretty, very similar to the main event we saw on the 9-2 evening. But when you take out the other participants, namely Yano and uh, 
you know, once Yano is out of there, I'm sure Bad Dude Tito's not there, but once you take Yano out, I felt like the match became a lot more enjoyable. And so I preferred this main event over that one by quite a bit. And like you mentioned, the crowd is so into Jonah. I am still wondering where we're going with Jonah. If this is a guy that's, uh, you know, on his way back to Orlando, or if he's going to be sticking around hard to know for now, but, uh, I like the interactions with him and Tanahashi and him and Okada. And I, I dug this main event. I thought the top three matches of this night were all very good. Yeah, really fun show. And this uh, Corkin show is free on NJPW World. So if you're a LAP subscriber and you want to check this show out, I highly recommend go on there, watch it for free, check it out, and maybe it'll get you hooked back into uh, New Japan and what's kind of going on. So we have some questions here uh, concerning the show. Yeah, uh, Reddit user PSAN91 says, I was at the Corkin show, and it was so gratifying to be able to finally cheer at a New Japan live show again. Whose reaction at the Burning Spirit Corkin show surprised you the most? I, I, I have to agree with him. When I was at the New Japan show in St. Pete and I was able to cheer, <laughs> it was very gratifying. <laughs> it might not be quite the same thing, but I was happy about it, you know? <laughs> no, um, yeah, that was, you know, that was a very special moment. I'm glad you got to be part of it. Uh, as far as whose reaction surprised me the most, um, I don't know that there was really anybody that truly surprised me. You know, I feel like the good thing here is, yes, we've mentioned how with clap crowds, you can't totally get a full feel for what's going on. But we've always said that there are indications. And it seems to be at this point that most of those indications we've been getting have been correct. You know, Suzuki's still a big star. People hate House of Torture. They love the big stars. They're still invested in everybody else. Like th there was no, there was no, um, we're in Canada and this is Bizarro World type of reactions. <laughs> there wasn't anything that I wasn't, I was surprised by. I don't know about you, Jeremy. Yes, yeah, I think maybe the only one thing we already mentioned Shingo not getting maybe a bigger reaction. Um, but besides that, I feel like everybody else kind of got reactions that I was expecting. Maybe the only thing was, and it's not totally unexpected because again, it's Corkin, but some of the heels getting, you know, good reactions, Kenta, ELP, the Suzuki Goon guys in the semi-main event, like, like Dangerous Techers, they all seem to get pretty good receptions, uh, at least from the initial moment that they came came through the curtains and all that, which if they were in a different part of the country, that might not be the case, but on this night, because it's everyone's so excited and they're so happy and cheering. And it's, again, it's a smarky crowd. You know, it's not totally surprising. Right. Uh, Peace also says I was there live and was surprised how over Watto was with the fans. Definitely heard more female voices cheering for him. So it was nice to see. Maybe how... chirping. <laughs> he said it was nice to see how over Okan was. Don't know if it's because of his real life heroics or just the fans are into his character. Uh, says, I was happy my boy Gideon Gray got a lot of vocal support during the match, too. Another surprise for me in the LIJ versus Suzuki Gun match was how even the how the, how even the, they were cheering, how even the cheering was for both sides. Although, obviously, LIJ are still massively popular. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts on the crowd reactions to different wrestlers. Thanks, as always, for the great show every week. 
You know, um, he, he brought up a lot of great points, and I think that that's all accurate. One group that got quite a bit of reaction to not just Great Ocon, but the United Empire as a whole, as a unit, which mm-hmm. we never seen them in this iteration in a cheering environment in Japan ever. So that was something where I was a little bit like, I don't know how they'll be received because they're they are heels, but they definitely got positive react receptions. Yeah, and we got the the big you know let's go tai chi go home tai chi let's go tai chi go home tai chi so that that was fun that that cheer was back so yeah really fun uh, reactions throughout this whole show um then mark nato 1990 on twitter says is there any wrestler you thought were more or less over based on fans reactions on today's show I know he is over, but I was still surprised Jonah got a good chant considering he was in the ring with Okada and Tanahashi. Listen, man, Pearl fans love big monsters. They love them, especially when they're believable and they can like wreck shit. And sure, New Japan's had some big guys. You know, they had their archers and their follies, but like, when's the last time they had a really believable monster? Like a guy that not only is big, but also believable and very legit looking and is pushed in that manner. Like, you know, it's been a while, but you look at their past and regardless of how these people are remembered in history, there were times where they were fucking over Bob Sapp, Brock Lesnar, Big Van Vader, Bam Bam Bigelow, just, you know, Scott Norton, just name a few. And those guys were, you know, Andre the Giant. They love dudes like that in Japan. So <laughs> I'm not surprised whatsoever on that. And yeah, I mean, just based off the ooing and awing he got in a clap crowd environment, that let me know already that he was going to get big reactions when fans can actually cheer again. Now, if he hadn't have pinned uh, Okada, I don't know if the reaction is like this, to be honest. I'm, I'm sure he'd get some, but like I think a lot of this is goodwill based off of that huge victory, too. Yeah. Just- um, as, as far as... People that were more or less over. The only one I will say, and I, I think we mentioned this point a little bit, but um, the heat that House of Torture got when they came out was like pretty impressive. Um, and, uh, you know, again, that also could speak to these people wanted to boo them for years and they couldn't. And now maybe the reason it was so like hot when they came out is because. <laughs> These people really hate them. They they've been waiting for this moment. You two know, to two let them and know. a half years of built up hate and frustration was able to come out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that, that leads into this next question. It says, Are you surprised with the fans booing House of Torture? I know they're heels, but fans seem to be respectful a lot of the time. Is it go away heat? I didn't perceive it as go away heat. I perceived it as I mean, make no mistakes about it. There's a lot of heels in New Japan people that are rule breakers, people that do, and there's shades of gray, you know, there's tweeners, face leaning tweeners, heel leaning tweeners, you know, people that are, you know, like bullet club who are heelish, they're bad, but they're not like, you know, just outright always completely evil. You know what I mean? They're more like opportunistic kind of cool heels, but then the subunit of house torture, these guys, are just nasty cheaters that just are disrespectful and yada, yada, yada. So given the fact that they are probably the farthest, you know, on the spectrum to being a bad guy that you could possibly be at this current time in new Japan, 
I didn't perceive the booing as being go away heat. I perceived it as being the proper reception to the character that they've been portraying this whole time. Could I be wrong on that? Yes, I could. My perceptions could be off. That could have been literally the people being like, fuck you guys. We don't want you here. Right. <laughs> Get I, off I the don't screen. Know. Based on the how they were booing, it felt like we're at a pro it, wrestling show. We're going to boo the heels. The other people right. are do, doing a big thumbs down. Like, boo. Like, they were like, to me, yes. it, it felt like they were like being a part of the show. They're like, all right. Here comes these heels. We're going to boo them. We're going to get into the show. We can cheer and boo again. Let's get into it. Let's boo them. So to me, it, it, this one night, it did not feel like go away heat. But, you know, he did bring up a good point. That is rare in Japanese wrestling. Like most of the time, even when they don't like people, they rarely boo unless they do something specifically to elicit the heat. These guys didn't do anything like that. They just walked out. <laughs> they walked out with the with the dog kennel cage, and they were like, "Oh hell no!" <laughs> you know, maybe we're not we're not Japanese. We don't know everything about the culture. Maybe that was them rioting. Like that was their version of like, you know, just letting them have it. I don't know. Yeah, peace saying anyone. Let us know. Let us know what the deal is. <laughs> uh, let's see. Also asked, what did you? Th- what do you think is the best amount of members in a faction? Do TMDK need a junior to go with heavyweight and tag team? Um, I think in New Japan specifically, given the way that their roster is set up long term, if you're going to expand and have, um, you know, a foothold in the landscape of New Japan, yes, you probably need those things. The other thing too is if you are a quote unquote unit, a faction, and Ghetto the Booker is wanting to find guys from the outside that they can plug into an open spot, what better way to do that than to incorporate them into a faction that already is there that doesn't have, you know, a junior tag team or a junior heavyweight or whatever or a pin eater. So that stuff does make sense to me at the same time maybe that's not the goal of the group maybe you are like for instance like the shield you know or the Freebirds. you're just three dudes who are you know a completely unique sort of sort of deal you know and that that's fine too if that's what it is i mean house of torture only has right now like four guys but they're a subunit um my feeling though to kind of answer the question i feel like uh in New Japan specifically, I think that the proper amount of people is probably what um, United Empire has, if you think about it. I mean, well, even they they might have too many people even still. But I think you definitely need like a main eventer. I think you need like one or two, you know, mid-card guys possibly. You need a junior you need maybe a couple more juniors as a tag team and maybe a pin eater and maybe another tag team. So you're looking at like eight guys, nine guys, which is I think what United Empire has. And they started with as a group of three. So that might be like the prime proper amount. I think Bullet Club has way too many. Yeah. But also I think the LIJ model works as well where you, yes. you have, you know, three guys that are heavyweights. Also you have the main eventer in Naito, and then you have um Sonata and Shingo there that you plug into some upper mid-card stuff and then you have right. Hiromu and Bushi who you can do both single junior stuff with and then bring them together in a tag team when they're not going after the junior title. 
Yeah. So I mentioned, you know, maybe having a couple mid carters and then also having a tag team, you could kind of nix that and enter, you know, have an intersection of those top three heavyweights on your, you know, faction roster group play as a heavyweight tag team. We already see that with LIJ all the time. So, and how many guys they have like six, five, they're five, right? Cause it's Naito, Sonata, Shingo, Bushi and Aromi, right? Yeah. yeah, and I think that works too. Yeah. So yeah, we'll- but I think I think if you go, um, best case scenario, I think like nine is like the most you could possibly have. Yeah, I think if you're going past nine in New Japan, like it's way too many, you know. And and nine is like a super faction at that point. Like you have a lot of guys, but I mean, at the same time, you think about it. What has been the most popular and profitable faction in New Japan for the past five years? It's always LIJ. Yeah. So maybe that's more the model to go to. Do you think TMDK needs to get a junior right now? I think they need a junior, but that's if they're going to stick around or not. I mean, they might not actually be a real long-term faction. A lot of that is contingent on Jonah, but, uh, because, I mean, imagine if Jonah leaves, they might still try to keep it around, but it's just going to be some guys wearing TMDK letters, and it's not going to mean much unless they find a new a new guy to rally around. But if they do stick around, yeah, I think they need a junior. Maybe uh, Robbie Eagles? I don't know who. Could be anybody. Yeah, just thinking of what kind of fit. I know Badu Tito's not oceanic, but I don't know. I feel like Eagles potentially could fit in that kind of – mix there they don't have to be oceanic bad dude tito's american that's what i said bad dude tito's not but i would the rest of the group is so maybe this feels racist of you (laughs) You (laughs) tito can be like chase and be the honorary oceanic guy uh let's see so moving on to this next question he says with gideon gray involvement in united empire and the legion and rev pro do you think yota suji will join United Empire once back from Excursion. I haven't seen much of RevPro, but see that he is in the Legion faction. Possibly. I mean, that could be, there could be a connection there. Um, and at the same time, maybe not, you know. Um, keeping with the kayfabe of New Japan, not that it really matters, they did bully um, Suji quite a bit and, you know, teased that they wanted him to join the group and then, you know, pull the rug from underneath him. Not that he was ever going to, this is when he was a lion. Um, not that he ever actually was going to join them, but like they implied that they wanted him and then made it very clear that they were not serious about the offer. You know, there there's comparable situations in the past where we've seen guys that were lions come back and still carry beef and heat for the, you know, the senpais that, you know, bullied them in the past. I mean, Look at Jay White. The whole reason he didn't join Kenny Kenny Omega (laughs) in the Bullet Club is because the way they treat him as a young lion. So Mm -hmm. um, maybe there's something to that. I don't know. Yeah. Also, if they do that, United Empire does not need another heavyweight right now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're they're pretty stacked right now. I mean, they have Osprey, Cobb, Ocon, Hanare. Like, yeah, they don't really need any more guys on the heavyweight front. All right, so... That's pretty much it for uh, the first two nights of the Burning Spirit Tour. 
There was a video on demand show that happened this morning, but the video has not been released for that yet. So when they do those VOD show, these shows is usually a day behind and when it gets released. So it should, probably should be on NJPW World tomorrow. Um, but that card, you have Fujita, Oiwa, Nakashima versus Suzuki, Taka, and Kanemaru. Goto, Yo, Yoshihashi, and DKC versus House of Torture. Fale, Chase, and Hikaleo versus Gideon Gray, Okan, and Cobb. Wato Deguchi and Jado versus Hanare, Akira, and TJP. Gato and Ishimori versus Kushida and Hanma. Despi, Taichi, and ZSJ versus Bushi, Sonata, and Naito. Semi-main event, Okada and Yano and Tanahashi against TMDK. And then the main event, ELP and Kenta versus Hiromu and Shingo. Yeah, so, I mean, the two things that stick out to me here, number one, this is another Corkin show, but it's VOD, so the quality is not going to be as good. Number two, crowd's not going to be able to cheer, and it's the day after they had the big cheering crowd, you know, event, so I'm wondering, like, if I was a ticket pair, why would I even go to that? <laughs> right. You know, number one. Um, and then the second thing, kind of looking at the the match layout, there's nothing, there's not much here that I find to be very compelling, except for the fact that, they still have ELP Kenta versus Hiromu and Shingo listed as the main event. And considering how much I liked the match, the other preview match from to, from yesterday's show, um, that might be a main event worth checking out, especially because they have Hiromu kind of, you know, mixed in there with Shingo and Hiromu and Shingo as tag team sounds pretty cool too. Yeah. So yeah, that should be a fun main event. Yeah, plus I'm invested in the ELP Shingo storyline. Yeah. So then the next Spring Spirit Show after that will be on Saturday, September 11th. Show open up with Goto, Yoshihashi, and Fujita taking on House of Torture. Wato and Deguchi in the DKC taking on Aaron Hanare, Akira, and TJP. Fale and Chase Owens versus Gideon Gray and Jeff Cobb. Tanahashi, Jado, Kushida, and Hanma versus Gato, Hikaleo, Kenta, Ishimori, Suzuki, Taichi, Taka, and Saber versus Bushi, Hiromu, Sonata, and Naito. Semi-main event, Okada and Yano and Makabe versus TMDK. And then the main event, it will be Yuji Nagata's 30th anniversary match. And Yuji Nagata, he will take on Great Okan. Yeah, so, I mean, um, two guys that have recently been gone on an excursion, you know, Okan, he uh, was over there in Noah. I heard he, uh, his promo was flagged by Twitter on the official Noah. Did you hear about this? No, what happened? So, you know, he, he teamed with, spoiler alert for those those of you that are Noah fans that don't know about this, but he uh, was in that special, you know, final great Muda match with a uh, team with Muda. And at the end of the match, um I think they lost. Maybe they didn't. I don't know. But at the end of the match, post-match, Muda sprayed the mist in Great Okan's face. So Okan cut a promo on Great Muda, and Noah's official Twitter page posted that. And Twitter did. Twitter found the uh, the promo so offensive that they they banned and completely <laughs> took down the Noah Twitter. <laughs> So, you know, Okan has been um, – this man's a menace. He's been out there, you know, literally he, – he, he was a sleeper agent for Shinion, and he literally <laughs> disabled their entire social media. Oh, and this man Nagata has been over in all Japan 
every time he wins a match, they turn on the, the New, New Japan, Japan theme. <laughs> he does his dance. <laughs> the fans get pissed, and he's like, <laughs> So, yeah, two Hellraisers, you know, ready to lock horns and do battle. <laughs> yeah, but it should be a fun main event. You know, Nagata can still go. Okan's on the rise. Uh, Okan, like you mentioned, a young lion. He, uh, Nagata was probably one of his, you know, senpais or trainers in the in the dojo system. So, bro, if I if I was one of the lions and I graduated and I made it to the main roster and I was wrestling one of my senpais, I would fuck them up. <laughs> I would I would lay I would hit them with a lariat so fucking hard for all the times they abused me. <laughs> I'd get mines. So that's what we should expect when uh, you eventually face Matt Seidel. No, no, but I will beat him because he always loses. <laughs> <laughs> every oh. time I'm every time I'm talking to like my training partners, and they're always like, uh, you know, talking about things they would do, things they did do, things they wouldn't do, and I was like, I'm always just like, I'd find a way not to job is the first part. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Let's uh, jump over to New Japan Strong. So we have the conclusion of the High Alert Tour this Let's past call Saturday. it the Low Alert Tour. This was <laughs> the, the the Mid Alert tour. Mid Alert Tour. <laughs> uh, so the show opened up with uh, Lucky Ali. He lost to John Skyler. Then Eddie Kingston defeated Jake Something, and then the main event, Fred Rosser retained. The strong open weight championship defeating Fred Yehi in the main event. Yeah. Um, I think they should stop calling these New Japan strong shows tours because they're I not agree. they're not touring anything. They should call it high alert night or you know, part four. If this was a television show, this would be a four part episode because it was all taped on the the same night, you know? Right. Honestly, I don't even think they should like have these tour brandings i think it should just be new japan strong and you build that strong name and not throw in all these i get they're trying to make it like new japan with the tours and the names but i'm fine with the names it doesn't bother me Mm -hmm. i I mean i i've seen the the criticism but it it helps me to pay more attention to like you know to kind of differentiate what we're even looking at because if they don't have those tour names this this stuff's just gonna meld and mold into (laughs) you know, into one another. I'm never going to remember any of it. I guess that's a good point. But uh, yeah, I watched the show just briefly before I came on the air. Um, it was, it was a so-so episode. I mean, um, the good, I thought all three matches were good. You know, um, I thought the crowd sucked just like they have the entire tour. I, felt, I feel I like this was the best night for the crowd. Like, I think they were into the Ollie Skyler matches. Ollie is local. He's then, local. He's a hometown guy. And then they were in, definitely into Eddie Kingston. No, they were into it, but they still sucked. Yeah. And also part of it is like, don't put 550 people in a building that could probably sit. I mean, I don't know. I'm just giving a rough guess. What? 2,500 people probably. Yeah. It, it looked pretty empty. It looks bad. I mean, they drew a good, indie show crowd house you know 550s i mean i I think we had more than that here in st pete but it's not bad it's not great but that building the optics of it is also yeah um also the production still kind of sucked on the show but i mean we've been saying that for what four weeks now on on this particular quote unquote tour so 
Um, but the wrestling was good. I felt like each match got better as the night went on. Um, I'd probably go like three, three and a quarter, and then, I don't know, three and a half, maybe. Yeah. Uh, the the Fred Ross or Fred Yehi match was a little – it was it was good. But, um, you know, I found myself being much more impressed with Yehi. Uh, oh, this is funny. So I'm watching this, <laughs> and my girlfriend uh, sees it, and she doesn't know Yehi. She's like, yeah. What? She's like, that guy's name is Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? She's like, Fred, yeah. <laughs> I was like, no, his name is Yeah. Oh my gosh. She's like, I, I don't see it as Yeah. I see it as Yeah. <laughs> well, that's how the crowd was like in that whole show. Just Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, I thought Yeah was a lot more like dynamic and interesting to watch. He's just, I as a performer, I think he's a guy that really is pretty compelling. Um, and the match had a lot of good, you know, wrestling, but it, it was just eight minutes and it kind of just ended abruptly. I wasn't expecting the finish when it came. Um, but other than that, I felt like they were having a pretty good match. It's also weird because this is supposed to be the first title defense that Rosser has had, but he had his second title defense against big demo and that aired first. So, like, you know, the kayfabe's all messed up there at that point. Yeah. They told us that this is the first one, but then on the other show, they said that was the first one, so it's kind of weird. Yeah, this match, like, like I said, it was good. It was a little bit disappointing. I feel like there wasn't a ton of build to this matchup. You know, it was a post-match thing where Yehi challenged Rosser. Um, right. Like you said, it ended pretty short. He hit him with that uh, that Emerald Flosion-like maneuver, um, kind of caught him off guard, and then beat him. And so, yeah, I mean, we've seen kind of, you know, I think Philly Tom set a high standard for strong title matches and always had, you know, very good to great matches. And so, you know, big shoes to fill here for Fred Rosser. And so, like I said, good match, but I think, you know, we're, we're we needing more for that for that title. Um, and post-match, um, you know, he cut a promo and was issuing an open challenge, and then out came TJP to accept the challenge. But the weird thing was, like, Rosser was – he laid out an open challenge, and he was like, well, why are you out here? Like, this, is, this doesn't involve you. It's like, you just lay out an open challenge. Like, that's why he's yeah, out there. <laughs> that was confusing. And here's the thing. I like I like Rosser a lot. We've had a lot of good things to say about him, and there's a lot he's done um, so far in this company that I I find admirable, and I've, I've been – I also think is compelling. But on the mic, in a live – environment very often i i'm kind of confused <laughs> i don't know yeah. if like the, the the promo cutting is completely his bag but yeah that didn't make sense he was like i i have this open title i wonder who the next person's gonna be and then he comes out and then he's like you don't do the challenging i do the challenging it's like no bro you are the champion and you're a baby face that's <laughs> something only a heel says right and you just said like yeah who's next like I'll fight anybody anywhere. And then a guy comes out and like, you're like, oh, no, no, whoa, whoa, no, no. <laughs> and then, you know, the good thing that he did do to save it was he was like, all right, well, we could do it anytime, any place. How about right now? And then, like, uh, TJP said no. And it was like, I guess his his reasoning did make sense. He buried the crowd and said he wants to do it in L.A. But at, at the same time, it's like you're a heel. And this guy just came off of – you know, a quote unquote grueling title defense. Why don't you take your shot and just do it right now and just get the belt off of him? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 
So I thought that was all a little a little wonky, but um, the crowd was into Kingston. You know, I'm always impressed with Jake something. Yes, I don't. I don't think he's a great worker necessarily. But he's not bad, but he's just got like a a real physicality to him and a great look. And I feel like he needs to be somewhere and be doing something. If it's not New Japan somewhere, I don't know. Yeah, from the first time we saw him live all in weekend um, at the AAW shows, like I, I was digging him a lot. And you know, I've tried to keep up with what he's doing. I mean, he's been doing a lot of indie stuff, a lot of stuff on Impact. But yeah, I'm uh, I dig Jake something, and I would like to see him get more opportunities. Whether that's you know sticking around and strong, and eventually getting over to Japan or, you know, being spotlighted on, on AEW or somewhere else uh, in America. Hmm. Well, um, I think that is going to do it for our review of new Japan strong high alert next week will be the first night of new Japan strong fighting spirit unleashed September 10th, um, 8 PM Eastern on NJPW world. We have a couple really Actually, all three matches here look really good. So we got Mascara Dorada versus Mysterioso, uh, Robbie Eagles versus Kevin Blackwood. And then in the main event, the NJPW Strong Openweight Tag Team titles are on the line as Aussie Open defends against the West Coast Wrecking Crew. Um, hopefully we get this strong shit back on track. Yeah, sounds like a good car. We got the first defense of the Strong Openweight Tag Team titles. Aussie Open are awesome. I think they have a really good match with West Coast Wrecking Crew. Uh like you mentioned, Eagles and Blackwood, that should be a lot of fun. And then Dorada and Mysterioso should be a lot of fun as well. So, yeah, I, hopefully the Fighting Spirit Unleashed Tour will be better quality. And the crowd, I forget where they taped this show. It might have been, oh, yeah, it was L.A. Duh, because that's where the TJP roster match is happening. So, yeah, hopefully this L.A. crowd is a lot more lively and we'll get into all the matches and programs here. So that's going to take us into the news. Not a lot of New Japan news items this week. Uh, New Japan has announced Hiroshi Tanahashi for their New Japan showdown tapings in Los Angeles. Tanahashi will be a part of that strong taping on Sunday, October 16th at Vermont Hollywood in L.A. Tanahashi will join the current lineup of Jay White, Minoru Suzuki, Fred Rosser, Philly Tom Waller, Juice Robinson, and Aussie Open. Then this week on Access TV, they will be showing uh, three matches from Budokan Hall from the G1. They'll be showing Naito versus Zack Sabre Jr., Will Ospreay versus Juice Robinson, and ELP versus Shingo. Josh, any other news items you can think about that we might have missed before we jump into these uh, questions here? Um, no, but I do think if you are listening to the show, you need to be following Keeping It Strong Style on Twitter at KI Strong Style. We're always posting, you know, the latest and the greatest when it comes to New Japan. Anything that we see, whether it's direct or, uh, you know, something that's even just adjacent, we post it. I do know September 12th, obviously, is uh, the Taka Taichi Despi Mania and new details about that came out. We retweeted that just, you know, a couple hours ago. Also, Minoru Suzuki is returning to Rev Pro uh, for the British J Cup show Saturday, October 22nd. That's a little ways off, but uh, I think that's the first time that uh, Suzuki actually last time Suzuki was there against was for that match against Michael Oku. So it's been a little, little while since he's been back. Um, but yeah, I don't have any other news items, but again, like I mentioned, 
I would definitely be following us because we are always retweeting all the most relevant news when it comes to New Japan plus cool shit. Yeah. Let's jump into these questions here and wrap the show up. So first from Reddit user Viking Pain says, yo, you guys need to talk about that CM Punk versus Colt slash the elite slash hangman situation. Punk absolutely buried them in his media scrum, and there's been so much heat involving those people that there's even been reports of a legit fight breaking out backstage. Shit's wild. Uh, <laughs> it's funny that this is being talked. I'm, I'm hearing things literally as we're on the air pertaining to that, but it's not... I can't talk about it. <laughs> I can talk about what, what we all know, but, uh, and, and this is not me being like putting on the, like, Oh, this is not the big time. I'm not putting on my big timer pants and being like, Oh, I'm big timing you guys. I know stuff, but like, I really don't like, I literally just, just now, <laughs> as you asked that question, stuff started coming into my, my DMS. I'm like, Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> So what was the question again? He says that you- uh, he wants he wants to talk about the situation. Yeah, I don't know, man. I feel like we. Here's the thing: I don't want to spend the rest of the night talking about this. So I I, I want to keep my uh, opinions on it light because this is not an AEW podcast. We spent a lot of time talking about Will Osprey last week, and I'm sure people, some people probably loved it. Some people probably <laughs> hated an hour of Will Osprey, but um. Uh, I will say this before we answer anything. One Nation Radio, this past uh, yesterday, they put out their episode. They gave great analysis and insights and opinions and takes and everything uh, as it pertains to this. Um, Either tonight or tomorrow, uh, our AEW podcast on the network, All Things Elite, will be recording and... For those of you that are unaware, Austin Sumowitz, one of the uh, co-hosts along with Floyd Johnson, is an unabashed and diehard CM Punk fan. So I'm sure that there will be an impassioned and lively discussion on that show. And I got to tell you, I'm excited to tune in for that one because I don't know (laughs) what is going to happen on that show. (laughs) Last week's show was crazy. If you didn't listen to it, go check that shit out. So I'm definitely going to tune in for that one. So we already have right now at least two shows. And this is just in our little corner of the wrestling, you know, world. And everybody and their mom is covering this as well. So, but, you know, I think people want to, you know, give, get, hear what we have to say as well a little bit. Yeah. And I think I'm going to ask a second question because I feel it kind of ties into this whole thing too. He says, what does Tony Khan have to do to get back control of his locker room? He's too big of a CM Punk fanboy to fire him and can't see him firing his EVPs either. (sighs) Okay, so, I mean, here's what I'll say. This is a very unfortunate and very ugly situation. Um, There's a lot that people don't know that we don't know as a public, as a, as a fan base, as an audience, uh, as to who did what, when they did it, how they did it, what. There's a few things we do know. We know that Hangman Adam Page cut a promo a couple months back during the build to the CM Punk shit. At the time, now, Jeremy, let me ask you, when that happened, did you understand what he was talking about? 
Initially, no, but then listening to Voices of Wrestling flagship that week, Joe Lanza was like, I, I feel like there was something, you know, weird about that promo. And then, you know, Lanza kind of really kind of pointed it out. But in the moment, I had no idea, really idea what Punk was or what a Hangman was really talking about. Well, go figure me being the conspiracy theorist with the freaking tinfoil hat on and Rich Latta, who also likes to dabble in the conspiracy theories, both of us, like our antennas went up immediately and I knew exactly what he was saying. I don't know. It was just, I didn't think it was that coded, but here's the thing. He interweaved for better or for worse. He interweaved some real world ongoings into his kayfabe promo, but he did it in such a way to where the, the audience at general did not know that he was taking a real shot quote unquote at CM Punk. You would hope that it would just stay there. like, And I feel like that, that's that been part of the fun of AEW is that they interweave things that are kind of real life based into their kayfabe. And that's always been kind of appealing to me as a fan. You know, you don't need to necessarily know about that stuff to enjoy the product. But if you have a working knowledge of the histories of these guys or the ongoings of the backstage or their auxiliary, you know, like being the elite, stuff like that the vlogs you kind of get it and that's cool but cm punk felt some kind of way he came out the other week he did this he did a very blatant going into business for himself shoot promo in the middle of the show that like took everyone for you know surprise then all the drama started unfolding and then all the reports started coming out and all the turmoil and then they had to have the backstage you know um you know, meeting with everybody the other week. And it felt like hopefully they were starting to rectify the situation. And a lot of it has to do with Colt Cabana and the ongoings of his court case with CM Punk and the dissolution of their friendship, you know, almost a decade ago and them working in the same company and how it didn't look good that CM Punk comes into the company and Colt Cabana guy that everyone loves suddenly is de-pushed or demoted and then, eventually just working in ROH and earmarked for ROH and not AEW anymore is no longer with the dark order. That didn't look good. And then all these reports are coming out and every, you know, this used to be the company where nothing was leaked ever. Yeah. (laughs) And suddenly, you know, I do think I will say this. I don't know necessarily that the elite are specifically the ones doing it, but I think it is a little suspect that like whose stuff, who has stuff really leaked on Cody mjf and like punk those like the three biggest like threats to the stardom of others you know other top guys in the company it's just i think it's kind of interesting that we haven't heard that much about anyone else aside from them you don't hear stuff getting leaked about mox or about jericho you know what i mean but anybody yeah (laughs) anybody so i i do think that's a little suspect but ultimately sunday night if you haven't done it yet go out of your way go listen to the AEW post pay-per-view scrum. It's available for free. It's on YouTube. It's one of the wildest things I've ever seen yeah, in my life. It's, and it's still up there. They haven't, they haven't pulled it down yet. It's still up there. Yeah. And you know, what's crazy. It only has like 500 K like views. I thought it would be in the millions. So, you know, it's not like everyone is as aware of this as maybe like just the certain subsect of like the, <laughs> to use a, an, an old term, the IWC. <laughs> which kind of isn't a thing, but there is definitely a, a more diehard plugged in subset of wrestling 
wrestling them. Yeah, which more, we more smarky, right? But dude, CM Punk went into business. Here's the thing: they were trying to stop leaks. They were trying to stop guys taking shots. They were trying to stop guys going into business for themselves, right? And then this guy you takes the the lax setting of a post pay per view media scrum to then further go into business for himself, and he buried Colt Cabana. He buried Hangman Adam Page. He buried the Young Bucks, i.e. the EVP, so probably Kenny Omega as well. He buried MJF. That one kind of seemed like maybe, I don't know, that felt like he was actually just trying to take this shit where he was shooting and then turn the work aspect into it and be like, oh, I'm this Machiavellian level promo guy. <laughs> right, yeah. But it really was one of it's. This is by far, in my opinion, the lowest point in AEW's history. It's the most embarrassing public display that has ever occurred uh, for this company. It's worse than the firework incident. It's worse than the Suzuki incident. <laughs> <laughs> it's worse than um, the Dark Order in that December episode of of uh, Dynamite where they were throwing the bad punches and everyone was pissed. Then that's what caused. Cody to lose his power and, and all that stuff. So um, this was really, really, really bad. When you have the the owner of the company sitting there while the top star is literally going into business for himself and he's bashing the guys who helped found the company for better or for worse. I don't even know if Punk is lying about anything he said. I think Punk could be 100% telling the truth about everything and maybe from a moralistic standpoint be in the right. But the way he has gone about it, the things he has done have actually hurt the business that he's claiming he's trying to help. And he has literally, and you know, the byproduct of it is him and the Bucks and they steal. They all got into a fight. The details of that are still kind of unknown, but um, you know, they're out there. There's lots of reports. There's conflicting reports, but it's becoming a more and more clear picture as time goes on. And um, I think it's really sad. It's really disgusting what has what's happened here. And um I think there probably is blame to go around on all sides. I think there is um, – and I ultimately, the person that's most to blame is Tony Khan. Yes. like this Because – oh, go ahead, yeah, Jeremy. Yeah, you take it. Yeah, this guy needs to get control of the locker room. He needs to – having his employees respect him. Like CM Punk totally disrespected him in that whole media scrum. He just sat there and did nothing about it. Just nod his head to everything that uh, CM Punk was saying as Punk is burying his former world champion, is burying um, the EVPs, and it's just a, a bad look on Tony Khan. Like, he needs to get control of this stuff. And, you know, Josh, you've been making this point in our group chats a lot. Like, Vince McMahon would not let something like this happen. He would not have wrestlers disrespecting him like this publicly like maybe they'll do it behind the scenes and he takes care of it then but like you you never really saw such a public display of disrespect to uh vince mcmahon and tony khan if he's going to be you know a guy like vince mcmahon or a top wrestling promoter like he's got to get control because it's, it's making him look like the wrestlers are just running over him essentially punk punk steamrolled him during that scrum and made him look stupid. And the fact yep. that he didn't do anything, he didn't try to cut Punk off, cut his mic, 
say, you know what? We're wrapping up Punk Scrum right now. Like, he he needs to cool off. Like, there was nothing as this guy was just burying his top stars, burying the guys that this company was built around. And like you said, maybe there's some truth to what Punk was saying. Maybe the elite were the, are the ones who've been leaking stuff uh, about the whole Colt Cabana situation, even though a lot of the top reporters are saying that they had not talked to the Young Bucks or Kenny about this stuff. So I don't know, but maybe there's some truth to that. What How Punk handled it is not the way. You wait until you, you get behind closed doors, you pull in Tony Khan and say, hey, the EVP, this is what I think the EVPs are doing, like, we need to cut this out, or he needs to go and have a, a conversation with those guys. Like, what he did was completely unprofessional, embarrassing as a world champion of promotion. Um, yeah, it was just a bad look. Yeah, you know, and I don't want to get too worked up about it because at the end of the day, it's silly pro wrestling. But I, I'll tell you this. I, I've always been a big fan of Punk. I have not been a big fan of his run since he came back there's aspects of it that i've liked but in the ring he hasn't been able to really too much get it done and you know the funny thing is like growing up this this was like one of the guys that like reinvigorated my love for wrestling on a, on the first episode of this podcast we were like what if punk ever came back you know it's like this big thing and um i always wanted that cm punk chicago shirt from money in the bank way back in the day and i never got it and then like last year like a little bit before he came back, I found a way to get one and I bought it and now I own it. And now I don't think I want to really wear it. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I bought one of the the first AW ones. I'm like, Ugh. and I've never been that. I've never been a guy who's like, fuck this guy. I'm not supporting him, but it's just wrestling. But there is a part of me. It's like, damn dog. Like you, <laughs> you really like you fucked the money, bro. That's the funny. So there's a few things that were in that press scrum that I thought were really stupid was like, he's talking about how Adam page, you know, literally um, almost hypothetically ruined a million dollar gate. Now you could sit there and look at that and say, okay, what he's saying is you jeopardize the gate because you were unprofessional, but the tickets were already sold. So I think this is something that Rich has been alluding to. You know, remember the reports where people were like, I don't know if Punk would actually show up. Well, how could the thing be jeopardized if Punk was going to show up? I think the only way that it would be jeopardized is, is if Punk got so pissed at the promo. And I'm just kind of speculating here. But I think he's telling on himself a little bit. And went to the back and it's like, I'm not working with this guy. Fuck the pay-per-view. I'm going home. Yeah. Because I'm like, how does him doing a promo that nobody understands, that people liked, that seemed very good at the time, jeopardize the business? The only person it offended was you, Phil. (laughs) So how is it jeopardized? You know, like that doesn't make any sense. So I think he is confirming by, you know, by, 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 by without actually properly admitting it, I think he's literally saying I wasn't going to show up to the show because I didn't like the way he talked to me. He almost fucked a million dollar gate, which is like, bro, you almost did because you don't have, you know, you don't have a tough armor or a tough shell. Like you're, you get butt hurt over nothing. Right. And then he's talking about, you know, that, and you know, I'm here for business. I'm here to help this company. Well, to me, he just jeopardized multiple 
million dollar gates because now we're probably never going to get him and Kenny. Um, there's nothing. I mean, there, him and Brian versus the Young Bucks. I feel like something you you could have done. The Indie Powers versus the Young Bucks. Like yeah, any, any number of matches, whether it was prior to all this drama or even in the light of it. You know, like let's say if things smooth over, and they could work it out. Is there money in a Punk versus the Elite? type of situation uh, yeah yeah there's a lot and in fact like you mentioned i i mean jeremy can you think of any match in aew right now that is more that could possibly be more profitable than cm punk and kenny omega in say chicago no i mean that's like that's the hot ticket right now that's the hot ticket i mean you could do that i think you could do that like soldier field right you can do a huge building for that right but it's not going to happen because uh, the reports are that these guys are like, well, okay, so let's like let's talk about in the post after the scrum, you know. And here's another thing too: this guy, a lot of the stuff he's doing is really bitch made. If you think about it, he's talking all like he did the he went into business for himself and cut a promo on Adam Page when Adam Page uh, apparently didn't even hear the promo, and if he even had, couldn't respond to it because what would he do? If if Punk said come out here and fight me, and it's a wrestling show, and he came out there, now <laughs> what do you do? Right, yeah. You know what I mean. So that would be the worst case scenario. So there's nothing they could do there. Like if anyone was really, really, really fucking things up, it's CM Punk by by taking that action. That's where that's the first time where I was like, oh shit, stuff is like going off the rail here. This is getting in. You know, I know a lot of like hardcore WWE fans like to shit on aw and like try to nitpick at them and say oh this is uh, shit's a mess this is wcw all over again but that was a wcw moment where it's like why are we doing this this makes this is not draw money and then to wait till the guy leaves the building and then and start cutting these crazy promos on colt cabana who's not there who can't do anything about it can't respond and then to cut these crazy promos on Hangman Adam Page, who's not in the building, who can't respond, who again, how what are you gonna do? Like you can't fight the guy. And then to be like, I'll tell anyone in this in this promotion, if you have a problem about it, come see me and do something about it. He's literally saying, Come you know, fight me. A, <laughs> come fight me, not in a promo, but in a media call with the actual me- with Dave Meltzer, Brian Alvarez, and AJ from the AJ is Awesome <laughs> <And> Show. Izzy, <laughs> and Izzy, <laughs> <laughs> like, it's crazy, bro. You know, that's the other thing. He's dropping all these expletives, and then there's AJ from the AJ is Awesome Show sitting there. Like, uh, what do we, do? Uh, Mr. Punk? <laughs> Mr. Punk, I think you're great. <laughs> and then, um. You know, and then even just his demeanor, he's like chowing down on like fucking baked goods. And, <laughs> and I'm like, bro, Tony Kong, it's your boy. What are you doing, bro? But, um, you know, he, he, he asked people to come fight him. He trashed the EVP saying, oh, and that's nothing. He said that they've never been anywhere and they've never done anything except for they built the company that you are working in. That gave you the opportunity to come back and make this money. So how how did they not do anything? And then he said that Hangman Adam Page never did anything. Well, he was the world champion in this company. So what it sounds like, and then he was very complimentary of John Moxley and himself. So whether he meant it this way or not, what it sounded like was 
we've been to the to the to the mountaintop in Connecticut. And if you haven't been there and you haven't done what we did there, you haven't been anywhere. Take it from us, kid. So you are actually burying the promotion. You're burying the title that you are carrying. And, you know, the only way that this promotion is going to be saved and the only way we're going to make money is if we follow Punk's lead. The whole thing was mind boggling. And also, I'll tell you this. um, I don't know what Tony Khan could have done in that moment to actually fix things. Uh, I don't know what Vince McMahon would have really done. I I feel like we've seen Vince McMahon in some pretty uncomfortable situations where in that moment with the camera on him publicly, he couldn't do anything either. But the difference between him and Tony Khan is like, it would have never got to this point with Vince in most cases. Vince would have cut it off at, at you know early when when the problems were arising way, way, way earlier and he also has that like father figure respect of everybody where it's like you don't cross Vince. You know what I mean? Right. And you know if you as soon as you do you're like oh crap, I screwed up. And if you and like Vince was the kind of guy where like look at Warrior, he was not opposed to letting a guy go out there and work the show, make the money, come back, you're fired. Get the <laughs> fuck out of my building. <laughs> you know, that I'm not saying I don't know. But anyway, so then yeah, he he trashes the EVPs. He he embarrasses Tony Khan. He basically embarrassed the whole company. And then, you know, the elite come and have words with him now. From there, we don't know really what happened. I don't know who was the aggressor. Right, there's multiple stories that, that Punk threw the first fist, that the Young Bucks, you know, super kicked the door down, and they were the aggressors and came in. and Or even just that having three guys show up against one is even just a show of threat, you know? just in and of itself, which there's maybe something to that too. But what we do know is there were chairs thrown, a steel bit Kenny Omega. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it sounds like Punk might have punched some of the Young Bucks. You know, we'd heard, I'll tell you, like we'd heard stuff too that we never reported because we're not really a news outlet. I've heard stuff just now, like literally while we were on the air. Um, that I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> so who knows what's really going on? But um, it's bad, man. This is bad. And you know what else is bad? Shad Khan and the executives were there. Uh, were there at the pay per view, and I mean, they're literally in the middle of a merger, and they're literally making cuts, like extensive billions of dollars in cuts in production and in blah blah blah, and. This guy wants to complain about a million dollar gate. They got TV contracts coming up, my guy, and you're the champion and you're fighting executives and and vice versa. The exec the VPs shouldn't be fighting him either. Like the whole thing is really embarrassing. The only person that seemed to like have handled himself well in all this is like Jericho. Yeah. <laughs> Jericho and, and the funny thing was like Jericho was like in Tony Khan's ear. I don't know if you saw this, he was like some shit went down. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man. So it's bad. It's, it's really, 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 really bad. And um, I don't know, as of the time of this recording, it sounds like something major is going to happen, but none of the journalists that are hearing the news are going to report it. Cause they're going to allow AEW to break whatever it is that's happening. But like, I really wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I'll, I'll say this. If it was just that people are getting suspended and that's it, um, 
I'd be very surprised. It sounds like either Punk and Ace Steel are probably gone from the company. I think that's the most likely scenario. Uh, sounds like maybe the Bucks and Kenny could walk over this because that was something that was reported. Um, I could see them losing their EVP status and just being demoted to talent and lose their office jobs. I could see that completely being a realistic scenario. I think everyone involved that keeps working for the company is going to be suspended. The heat on CM Punk is nuclear at this point, And most of the company is not happy with him because he's fucking the money. Right. And there's been a lot of reports from people saying that the whole atmosphere and the locker room has changed since he came into it. And I mean, yeah, we heard some stories of, of stuff, people not getting along stuff happening before punk was there. But once he got here, like, all this stuff is coming. You know, he had issues with Eddie Kingston and it's all his torment in the locker room. He's made his little camp with him and FTR and they have heat with the young bucks supposedly. And like all this stuff is starting to like get crazier and crazier since punk's been there. So that's where we stand. And, um, you know, my, my main feeling is like, um, Tony Khan, you did a great job kind of going into all that, but Tony Khan needs to get his house in order because, you know, you could be a great booker. You can be a great talent signer and all that, you know, and you can be an analyst and a businessman, but you have to have the respect of your talent. And if you don't have the respect of your talent, then you are just a money mark. Right. And everything they've been saying about you, all these people that have been hating, it's true. And, you know, you saw how angry he got about the WWE. He was like, I'm not going to fucking take this shit anymore. (laughs) (laughs) It was like, bro. Stop worrying about them. Start worrying about the boys. And right, and you got bigger fish to fry. You got bigger issues right in front of you. It happened tonight, right during, behind, behind you. Yeah, behind you. <laughs> They're fighting, bro. <laughs> what are we doing here? Oh, oh man. my god. Yeah, it, it's wild. Yeah, so he he has to lay the law down. He has to let the whole locker room know, like I am not to be messed with. Like you don't disrespect me, EVPs, other talent. You have issues, you come to me, but I'm not going to stand for this. I'll, I'll tell you this much. I I think my fandom of, like, Sam Punk is pretty much done. Um, I think he's still very compelling on the mic. I think that he is still a good enough performer. He has enough, like, know-how to work a classic-style match that is – I thought he had a great match with Mox. I thought – but, you know, it's a lot of smoke and mirrors. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But physically, he's not at the level of – I mean, I wouldn't put him in the top 50 wrestlers going today. Like, oh, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Like, he's not a guy that I think can go at that level anymore. Um, but more so, I really, really enjoy AEW as a, as a brand. Obviously, New Japan is my primary focus. But, like, the, the idea that we have an open-up industry in the West where more people can work and – there's an alternative that exists and it's on national television and there's competition and these companies are going at each other and they're growing and thriving and and all that. That's fantastic. I love it. And I really enjoy the product. And the idea that this one guy who I think is kind of washed is going to like fuck it up for everybody makes me like, I don't want I don't really need to see him. And I was already feeling that way before all this because his matches weren't that good. Yeah. And I felt that way from day 
Jeremy, you got to give me my, my, my props. I said it during the Derby match. I said, yeah. this guy, this guy doesn't have it anymore. Yeah. From the, yeah. From opening bell. Yeah. You were ahead and yeah, you were really down on punk. I think all of us, we had our punk glasses on. And we're just, yeah, you guys get a match like four and a half. I was like, what the fuck did you guys see? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that wasn't good. Uh, yeah, we, we had the we had the punk goggles on. We were just happy the guy was back and uh, enjoyed the match. But then, yeah, you go on from there. Look at all the other matches he's had, and it's like, eh, like I liked I liked the Eddie Kingston match, and that was more because Eddie Kingston made him wrestle his style. Yeah, and you know, there's probably people that love the MJF shit, but even me, an old school wrestling fan, I didn't like it that much. It was okay, but uh, I don't know, fuck him, bro. Like <laughs> the thing is, like you just you don't do the things that he did. Even if, even if these guys lied on you, even if if the whole media is against you, like you're supposed to be the leader and this big star making all this money. Like, why are you fucking it up for everybody? Right, and you know, a year ago, coming back with this quote unquote new positive attitude, how much he loves wrestling, and he's a different guy, and he's grown and changed. But I don't know, man. We're we're seeing that same old CM Punk that. Always and, shows his head in, in WWE, Ring of Honor. There's there's stories pretty much in every promotion he's been in about his attitude, and once again, it's wearing its ugly head. And think about like Forbidden Door when he was like gonna take on first we thought it was Okada, then we heard it was Tanahashi, and I was like, that doesn't sound good. And when it became Mox, I was like a lot happier. <laughs> um, and I, you know, just thinking from the new Japan fan perspective, I can't think of anyone in new Japan. I want to see wrestle 2022 CM Punk. No, not at all. I know that there's a lot of fans that disagree with me, but I don't care. Like I don't, there's, there, there is no matchup. Maybe Shingo. Cause that'd be funny. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but yeah. yeah, it's fucked up, bro. Yeah. Uh, so Viking Payne's last qu- or he has actually two more questions here. First, he says, looking back now, did New Japan make a mistake by not accepting WWE's offer of a partnership? With AAA shaking over, WWE has feel revitalized and fun, while AW is already imploding from within. No. It's still WWE. Th- there's some cool stuff going on there. I'll give them their props, but it's still WWE. And, like, that would be a nightmare for New Japan. We've done whole episodes about it. Yeah, so- this, this one situation does not defer them to go into WWE like AW is still the right call I don't need to see Tomohiro Ishii running around with the geeks chasing the 24-7 title that that sounds like hell yeah I'm not trying to watch Tanahashi lose Austin Theory sorry (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, his last question here in a life or death situation would you rather fight an old tire hurt angry MMA trained CM Punk or both Young Bucks at the same time CM Punk I wouldn't fight the Young Bucks together that's two dudes yeah, it's still a two-on-one scenario, regardless of what you think about them. I think I could beat a punk. <laughs> I'm not joking. I do. I think I could. I think I could take him. And I'll tell you this: when I can't see too much. Here's what I will say: of the people that were involved in this fight, Tyson Smith is an individual who, believe it or not has won MMA fights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? So um, if if it came down to any kind of interaction, I don't, you know, they said that the whole thing went on for like five to six minutes. I don't know if that's true, but like if hypothetically there were any sort of interactions between Punk and Kenny Omega, you know who my money's on. 
Oh yeah, the, the guy that's won an MMA fight. Yeah, Kenny. Kenny probably would have handled that man. <laughs> oh, so, man. so moving on. Uh, Reddit user less commission seven two five two. When New Japan is able to fully cheer with all their talent, do you guys think one of the major priorities is to bring back Wrestling Dynasty at Madison Square Garden? If they can't bring it back to MSG, what other venue would be the best option? Uh, I think that prospect is long gone. Yeah, honestly, I don't think cheering has anything to do with it because also we can cheer here in the States. It's all about their popularity here in the States. Um, They are not as hot as they were in 2019 uh 2018 once the elite left like they dropped i mean they were still doing they had some buzz still here he had moxie over there and stuff like that jericho was still working there um but now like they they have to build up a lot more credibility visibility and popularity again in the states to even i think dream of running msg again I can't think of a like let's just say hypothetically there's no involvement from any other company. I think if they did do a big dream show, of course, there probably is gonna be some AEW, maybe even impact involvement. That's probably likely. But like let's just assume that that's not the case. Let's just assume it's a new Japan show. I can't think of any card that you could possibly throw together using any and everybody that you possibly could want from New Japan that would actually draw 16,000 people in America. Right. I think it's part of the fact of, you know, there's not a ton of fresh new matchups. Um, you know, you can say, let's do Okada Naito for the first time in the States. You can do that, but I don't think it's going to sell out Madison Square Garden. Yeah, and I mean, even if you look at the more successful New Japan um, U.S. shows since, say, last year in L.A., what's the common factor in most of those shows? They involve stars from AEW yeah. and from Impact. Uh, I'm not saying that, that it's solely due to them, but uh, they're getting a lot of help with the tickets from those two companies. Now, do I think that hypothetically, do I think like, let's say, could a Kenny Omega Okada match draw? Sure. I don't know if they're getting Madison Square Garden again. And I think the only way that that happens is if it's an AEW branded, you know, forbidden door type show. Something like that would be, could, could really, but if it was just New Japan branded, you could, if you do the same show. And it has just and it has AEW slash NJPW on it. It's gonna do business. If it's just New Japan, they're not doing the same business. Yeah, and that's so just, that's just where they're at right now. That's where they're at, yeah. and, and that might change. Also, I don't think AEW is running MSG anytime soon either. I think WWE has locked that up completely, and they're not letting that sort of thing happen to them ever again. Probably. Yeah. Uh, Last question also asks, I understand that people want Osprey versus Omega, but at some point, do you guys think we'll get Osprey versus Shibata around the near future, or is it still too much of a risk to put Shibata in the ring? I don't like the idea of him being a, a special appearance at Forbidden Door and nothing to follow from it. Well, you're, you're going to have to learn to to like it and live with it, because that's exactly what it was. I don't think Shibata's wrestling ever again, and if he does, it's not a, it's not going to be a real wrestling match. Right, and it's, it's going to be the, the exhibition thing, or it's going to be 
like what happened to Narita, where Tabata is going to be the one striking and the, the other guy can't do anything. You can call it a, a wrestling match all you want, but if the guy can't take a bump and he can't take strikes to the head, then he's not really wrestling. It's kind of like when when Hogan was doing walk and brawls with Sting in, in in TNA. It's barely a match. Right. So, yeah, I mean, Shibata, I think they're going to just save him for kind of surprise, feel-good appearances. But beyond that, like, if he could wrestle, there there would have been more matches this year already. There would have been more follow-up from the Wrestle Kingdom stuff. He's out here talking about Osprey and, and Shibata. Fuck that. Where's Kenta Shibata? That's the match I wanted. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> we never got it. Let's 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 go consecutively. If we're, if we're going to get Osprey Shibata, then first give me Kenta Shibata. Then maybe we could talk about Osprey getting his turn. Right. Um, his last question here. As it is September, plans for Wrestle Kingdom is probably being made. So with that, my question is, what match do you guys see Tanahashi having at Next Year's Wrestle Kingdom? My guesses are either a rematch from earlier this year at Wrestle Dantaku against Tomohiro Ishii for the Never Openweight title if he beats Carl Anderson on this tour, or a match with AEW's Brian Danielson. I feel pretty confident that we're going to wind up with Danielson and Zack Sabre Jr. in the Dome. Um, I don't expect there to be a lot of AEW involvement. But I do expect there to be some, you know, a few guys. I think Omega is one of them. I think Danielson could be another because that's a match that's been talked about a lot. Right. I think the big thing is um, Russell Kingdom is on a Wednesday. So yeah, it's on a Wednesday. Yeah, so that's going to hurt. Because TK said on Observer, he's like, if this was a Saturday, I would have sent a whole bunch of people. But, you know, if it being Wednesday, I have to be selective on who I can send. Plus, we don't even know if they're still going to be on the air come January. <laughs> Pug's going to get pulled tomorrow. Maybe. Um, But as far as Tanahashi goes, that's a tough one. I mean, I assume he's going to win the never title here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's never been one to hold that title for very long. So maybe he winds up defending it or maybe he loses it in the interim. I don't know. Uh, I could see – I wouldn't be surprised if there does end up being an AEW title defense at Wrestle Kingdom and maybe, you know, Tanahashi could challenge that for that belt again. Well, do, oh, the actual world title? Yeah. Also, you know. Also do All-Atlantic maybe, depending on, like, a Paxil champion. Pac versus Tanahashi sounds pretty cool. Yeah, you could, yeah, you could bring over the All-Atlantic title into, you know, <laughs> the guys that are on the Pacific side. But, uh <laughs> Um, I don't know. I, I, it's too early to tell. I don't, I really don't know what Tanahashi's doing. Yeah. I'm sure he's going to do something, but yeah, it's kind of hard right now. Figure it out. Uh, moving on to at in ring art on Twitter. It says, am I crazy to say I would beyond love to see Eddie Kingston in G1 Climax 33? No, you're not crazy. I, I don't know if his body could hold. I'll tell you this much. I love Eddie Kingston. I think he's a great performer, but watching him on strong this week and that was you know, pre-taped and then watching him live on AEW. The one thing I just kept saying to myself is like, he needs to get in better shape. I'm not saying he needs to be Joe six pack, but he was in way better shape when he got to AEW. And then through like the first six months to a year, he was here. He really was getting himself into a healthy performing shape. And he's not anymore. Like he's declined in that uh, arena. And I think it is, hindering his performance a bit and uh i mean can you imagine 
the way he is right now lasting through a G1. Sure, maybe with the shortened, like if they do the shortened blocks again, it might be possible. But even still, I mean, seven really hard matches for a guy in, in the shape he's in right now, I don't know if he can do it. Yeah, I mean, I would love to see Kingston. I think he would definitely need to work on making sure he's in the best shape that he possibly can be. Um, but I think he would have a lot of fun matches in the G1. Uh, next question for a Mark Nato 1990 says, Yu Amora was advertised to debut on Impact this coming week with a video package last week. Comes across as more than a one-off, once-off if they have a vignette. Have you heard anything about this, and how do you think this will help his excursion? Um, I don't know. What do you think? Um, yeah, I think he's. it's going to be clear that they're going to use him for a couple of tapings, so that's why they did the whole video package to, to introduce him. Uh, I think Impact's a good place for him to work or some talented people there for him to, to get in the ring with and help him get some exposure. Um, and I, I think, again, it's going to help him working that, learning a different style, working that American TV style. Um, Weight-wise, maybe he can, can be considered an exhibition guy. He can wrestle guys like Speedball Mike Bailey, have some fun matches like that. You can, you can put him in a tag team. He can do some stuff with guys there. I mean, heck, he can even wrestle like Josh Alexander, who's a guy who's been on strong you can do something there as well. I think there's a lot of guys for him to really learn from and really get better with working in Impact. Yeah, it's been a big question we've had ever since they started using the LA Dojo as an excursion, you know, destination. What would that entail? And we've kind of seen different iterations as the wrestling landscape has changed, partnerships have changed, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you. I think that they're going to bring him for some shots and, He'll add the name credibility from New Japan. It'll seem like a cool outsider is coming in. And at the same time, um, you know, uh, he'll get the experience and the rub from working impact. And maybe this continues to solidify that partnership long term. And, you know, it's one thing to book a Rocky, you know, a vet and bring them in and use them. And it's another thing to handle the future of the company, which is what they do when they're handling the, the Lions. So, um, we haven't seen too much of this before, or at least in the recent past. So, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with them. Yeah. Impact has a chance to redeem themselves from their, uh, blunder with Okada several years ago. That's what I was alluding <laughs> to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, moving on to the next question from at Azurio. Does putting the U S title aside, do you think NJPW should bring back the intercontinental title? If so, who's your uh, top four contenders for that. Yeah. I mean, I don't, here's the thing. I don't think they should bring it back because it's gone. And you know, the whole entire allegation of having a world title is that the lineage and the existence of the IC title was melded into it. So that'd be like kind of going back on a stipulation, but they should have never done it in the first place. We've got countless discussions in the archives on this network on this show from years gone past when they first, you know, brought that uh, to the forefront. So you go back and listen to it. But uh, if they did have some sort of top secondary title, I, I I think there needs to be an importance placed on one of their secondary titles, or they need to introduce some sort of new secondary title. I wouldn't even be, I wouldn't even be like opposed to like, uh, people would be pissed if I say this, but like, you know, um, unifying like the u.s and the never belt i don't even think that's necessarily a bad idea they need some sort of secondary title that is 
capable of drawing on that level because currently the U.S. and the Never title don't seem to facilitate that role, even though they've wanted it to in the past. Right. Maybe yeah, we go with Tanahashi's idea, doing that O forty title. <laughs> the U forty. Yeah. No, it'll be O forty. Oh, it's O forty because it's only over forty. Right. <laughs> the old, the olds on top title. Yes. Um, as far as like top four contenders, I mean, I don't know. Uh, guys that I think could be holding secondary titles that I think deserve a rub. Uh, Jeff Cobb. Yep, that's the first thing I thought about. Ocon. Yep. Mm, Jonah. Zach, Jonah. Zach Saber Jr. Yeah. Taichi. Yeah. Sonata. I don't know. There's a lot of names. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of top upper mid card guys that are not really doing a whole ton right now that could definitely benefit from having an IC like secondary top title. Yeah, it's one of the glaring weaknesses in the current setup of New Japan and something that is a you know, kind of a blight a blight mark on uh you know, Gato's booking recently. Yeah. Uh, next question from Maddie T from the Discord says I'm salty about Royal Quest 2 being over two nights as I can only make Saturday. Are you more or less in favor of these split shows and any speculation on realistic top matches? Um, I, I'm okay with it when it's warranted and when it's called for. And there's other times where it feels superfluous because they're, you know, just it's a money grab, essentially. Yeah. Um, I mean, it seems like the tickets have sold well for these two nights of Royal Quest. Um, so. Right. Like, if there's demand and people want to make a weekend out of it and it's an international show, you know, why not do it? Like, we, for instance, we've seen them do that in the U- UK. And remember when they first came to the U.S. and they had the two nights and the tournament? And it, that was right, great. The, the Long Beach, yeah, the U.S. Tur- tournament. What I don't like is when it's just like uh, a lot of fluff filled up in those two nights. And then it's like, well... You know, I, I guess get your money, man, but I don't know. Yeah. As far as uh, speculation on top matches, uh, I'm, I'm going to assume that guys like Zack Sabre Jr. will be in a top match. Will Ospreay will be in a top match. Um, besides that, I don't quite know because, I mean, Jay White scheduled to defend against Tamatonga in October. So I guess technically you could do a Jay White defense there. Um, I'm going to guess Aussie Open is going to defend the strong titles against, or maybe actually FT, or, um, Aussie Open might face FTR for the tag titles. They could potentially do a double title match or just Aussie Open going after uh, the IWGB heavyweight tag titles. Or maybe it's a three-way because Good Brothers will be there as well. So there'll be, there'll be some kind of tag title situation, I think. Uh, yes, possibly. Yeah, besides that, I, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure what else they're, they're going to do. Uh, oh, you know what? They could run uh, that Osprey-Suzuki match because Osprey uh, got was out when he was supposed to face Suzuki. Um. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I, I, I really don't know. I mean, they just they haven't announced anything. We haven't had any uh, storylines to build to it, and it's taking place not that far after Burning Spirit Tour ends, right? Right, yeah. So, I don't know. I feel like Burning Spirit Tour is going to end, and then they're just going to list a bunch of shit to happen on those shows. <laughs> yeah. We've seen them do that before. 
Uh, MJ's PR says, heard the other promotion is having some scuffles in the locker room. Any good NJPW backstage brawl stories? Um, I can't think of any that I know of. Um, which I'm guessing means you probably don't either. Right, yeah. If, if you don't know, then I definitely don't know of any. There's definitely... I wouldn't call them good stories. There's dojo stories of things that have occurred in the past. Um, you know, uh, controversies. There was uh, a death in the LA dojo or in the... Uh, no gay. Uh, in the no, well, it wasn't no gay dojo, but yeah, in the, in the New Japan dojo at one point, which was shrouded in a lot of mystery and a lot of, uh, you know, it was, I mean, someone died, one of the trainees, which was not good. Uh, but most of the fights that I know about occurred in front of the cameras, like Anoki uh, shooting on uh, the great Antonio, Kira Maeda when he shoot kicked Ricky Choshu in the eye, Akira Maeda when he shot on Andre the Giant, and all that stuff's on tape and it's out there. Um, obviously, the, the famous um, shoot incident on January 4th in 1999 with... Uh, uh, Nogawa and Hashimoto, which is effectively ended Hashimoto's like, you know, top guy reign in New Japan, which was one of the most con- that was probably, if not the one of the most controversial moments in the history of New Japan, and you know, was definitely one of those like dark day sort of things that happened. I'm sure, there's other things that I'm forgetting about, but uh, you know, at the same time in New Japan with their training and a lot of it's shoot based. A lot of those guys used to shoot with each other. I mean, that's where UWFI came from was, you know, a guy like Akira Maeda or, you know, being frustrated that he's not at the top of the card, but he, but him and Fujiwara can fuck everybody else up in the back regardless, you know? And they're like, I don't get it. If we're training to fight for real, <laughs> you know, which there is something to that. If you're training the guys to fight for real and you're putting this emphasis that they need to be really good shoot fighters, but then you book them as mid carters the way you would like just regular, it's like, well, why? That makes no sense. Right. You know? If I can shoot, why should I work? Right. <laughs> um, oh, man. I'm sure there's other ones, but I don't know of any famous backstage fight stories that I can think of off the top of my head. Gotcha. Well, that's it for the question. Thanks for everybody who submitted a question this week. Keep them coming for next week. And uh, that's going to wrap the show up. Next week, we'll be back to discuss more of the Burning Spirit Tour. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation. Visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate. And click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. You can follow the network at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook. We're Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. On Instagram, we're at Social Suplex. On Reddit, I'm the pro black guy. Josh is keeping it strong style. You can email me, Jeremy, at Social Suplex.com. And check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. The Grave Consequences, hosted by Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite, hosted by Floyd and Austin. The AEW Match Guide podcast, hosted by Sir Sam. And The Great Match Generator, hosted by Danny Kukler. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week 
on keeping it strong style. The ace of podcasts. Itchy Bon. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.